VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Surprise! No Patty this morning. Hello, everybody. Tim Powers here today. Patty is off, and Happy New Year to you. My first time on the air uh, hosting, guest hosting Open Line in 2023. Happy to be back. Hope you all had great holidays and weren't struck or stuck in air travel or emergency rooms. And we'll talk about all of that as we go ahead. Hope you had a good weekend. I had a blast. Um, I went out with my son and we had hockey and soccer and tennis and we've been playing they have outdoor rinks up here and i gotta tell you boy i we had them at home of course in st john's but we didn't get them as consistently and we play on kitty vitty lake i remember playing hockey on kitty vitty lake probably was illegal don't arrest me danny breen did it years ago but my goodness it was fun but he and i've been having a blast on the odrs as they call them up here and uh and it's a lot of fun getting uh, schooled by your seven-year-old or at least letting him think he's schooling you though sometimes he does school me uh and doing all of that doing it with other families it's a good way to deal with the winter blues now there's a guy with me this morning he's really blue and that is our Dave, Dave Williams, the all-star producer of this program who makes it happen for Patty and me and anybody else who sits in this chair. Dave, as you probably know, is a Los Angeles Chargers fan. He's been a fan of the Chargers since they played in San Diego, not all that long ago. If you were following the NFL this weekend, and it would be would have been hard not to because they were omnipresent everywhere, you will know the Chargers had a massive lead, 27 points, I believe it was, in the first half over the Jacksonville Jaguars. It looked like a duel, by the way, between two surfer quarterbacks, both at the long hair, the great California, Florida look, and the Chargers lost that 27-point lead and lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I had to check on Dave yesterday to make sure he was okay. A number of Dave's other friends checked on him to make sure he's okay. He's there. He's man in the phone lines. If you call in today, which I hope you do, give Dave a little pat. Tell him there's still hope. The Chargers someday, again, maybe, will get further in the playoffs. We love you, Dave. Which sets us up nicely for Blue Monday. Yes, today is Blue Monday, the third Monday in January. You heard Jerry Lynn uh, talk about it earlier with a great researcher from the province. We're going to talk to hopefully Janine Hubbard a little later about Blue Monday. But what really is Blue Monday? Is there really a day? in the year that is the gloomiest, the most upsetting and depressing. Well, as Donald Trump might say, fake news, fake news, fake news. Blue Monday is really something that started with a PR stunt. Here's the story, and this is from CNN, so maybe it's also fake news, but I'm taking it from CNN so you know my source. This is what the CNN story of this morning says about Blue Monday. Blue Monday began with a news release. In 2005, the now-defunct UK TV channel Sky Travel sent journalists an excited promotional announcement. With the help of a psychologist, it had calculated the most miserable day of the year. The team had worked it out with a complex formula developed by UK 
Bay-based psychologist Cliff Arnold, it considered such factors as weather to devise people's lowest point. Blue Monday, so the third Monday in January was the day they deemed to be the case. Now, because it was coming out of a travel company, what did they want you to do on Blue Monday? Book a trip. (laughs) Book a trip. I'm not telling you to book a trip, but it'd be fascinating to know how many people would book a trip. But CNN goes on to say, and, and so did the, the wonderful guest Jerry Lynn had on, speak about the reality of seasonal affective disorder. That's real. Uh, that's accurate. Uh, many of us deal with it this time of year. It comes from a lack of light, a uh, lack of exposure to the outdoors. You tend to isolate. It's colder. And it's really, really tough on people. And uh, this time of year, exceedingly dark. My son, in fact, he's always very astute with his questions. We were going to the hockey arena the other morning, and it was 6.30. He said, Dada, why is it so dark? Well, not just my 7-year-old posing the question. It's dark, and it's tough, and seasonal affective disorder is real. And hopefully we'll talk to Janine, as I said, a little later about all of this. But... So good for Blue Monday. Started as a PR stunt. We have Bell Let's Talk Day coming up in, in, in a little while. If it allows us to talk about mental health and the way people are feeling and trying to cope, then that's a good thing. So I'll give it some airtime, as I just did. I want to transition, though, to something that is blue and legitimately sad, and we're telling you this Monday. Uh, reported this weekend, sadly, that uh, well-known Newfoundlander and Labradorian, well-known hockey player, uh, Todd Gillingham, passed away. Uh, as Don Bradshaw of NTV reported, Cornerbrook native Todd Gillingham has passed away after an all-star caliber career in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. He went on to play both in the AHL and the International Hockey League. His St. John's Maple Leaf jersey currently hangs at the Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador Hall of Fame. You will know that Todd was recently in the news for uh, some legal troubles, and that is, uh, is an important thing, but it's important to remember his life today. Uh, many of the tributes that I saw on social media to Todd spoke about his time as a player with the St. John's Maple Leafs and how wonderful he was with the fans and would always engage them. I remember watching him play. I didn't know him personally. We're of the same age and we have mutual friends. Uh, and he was certainly a crowd favorite. Uh, he is in his early, was in his early 50s. That is far too young to pass away to Todd's family and friends, to those who loved him, to the legions of Maple Leaf fans and uh, QJMHL fans who saw Todd play IHL. We are very, very sorry for your loss. I'm sure there will be more to be said about Todd in the days ahead. And if any of his family, friends, or anyone would like to speak about Todd this morning, most certainly welcome you to do so. The same weekend, Todd passed away. Gino Ojic, another well-known uh, Canadian hockey player, passed away. Also, same age uh, in the same age range as Todd Ojic, of course, well-known as a tough guy for the uh, Vancouver Canucks, uh, New York Rangers, huge favorite in Vancouver. Uh, he uh, he had a chronic illness. Um, he was a leader in the indigenous community. Continued to do tons of work for indigenous athletes and representing the opportunity that he had to them 
just a sad story uh, as we recognize Blue Monday losing these two young men uh, at a time uh, in their lives when they should have been planning for the future. And if you want to talk about either of them, please do give us uh, a call. I'll make time and space for all of that today. Speaking of losing people, uh, and this is as real as those two very uh, untimely deaths, so that is the state of our health system, health care system. You may have heard me on the uh, the Ottawa report this morning. It's just bad out there. You heard the head of the LMA talk earlier about how the fact that the province has a, a short um, 136,000 Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, excuse me, are short of uh, a family doctor, do not have a family doctor. That's 26% of our population. According to the College of Family Physicians, there are nearly 5 million Canadians without a family doctor. That's hard. That's tough. Um, Family doctors, according to different bits and pieces of research, are settling in urban areas. There are more of them coming, but still not enough to deal with the needs and demands. You will have seen the tragic stories out of um, Nova Scotia of two people who went to ERs and uh, one who waited for seven hours and, and died, another who went, and a young, young woman, she was 37 and 38, I believe, another woman who went, um, didn't like the lineup, went home and passed away. Um, Premier Tim Houston, the Nova Scotia Premier, is now calling this a crisis. Uh, there's a major um, social media campaign in Nova Scotia about this. Premier Houston and Premier Ford of Ontario have said they're now prepared to look at uh, accepting some of the federal government provisions on managing and sharing data that uh, have been part and parcel of the discussions, non-discussions of health care funding in this country. You have uh, Will here this morning, I should say, Premier Ford. He's going to make an announcement here in Ontario at 1130 Newfoundland time uh, about a program to use private health care facilities to provide public surgeries for some of the most common surgeries, some of the surgeries that have the biggest lines, those for cataracts, those for um, knees and hip replacements and other work like that. That has not been without controversy here in Ontario, but it is something that uh, Premier Ford is going to speak to today. Premier Houston in Nova Scotia has said something similar, that he's now open to looking at private surgical options. And before the noise starts about how this is the end of the current system breaking news folks the current system is crippled and i don't celebrate that but i think we need to recognize that our own government is is working to find solutions all governments are working to find solutions but if i continue to hear politicians regardless of where they come from misleading us about oh yes we can only do it one way you are full of it we have to be more creative the current health care system the current funding for those health care systems across the country were designed 60 years ago the population of Canada has grown exponentially. The service needs of Canadians have grown exponentially. Canadians are living longer. Um, disease 
uh, management is more complex and there are more of them. All of these things mean we need to relook at all of this and can't be afraid to do so because now is the time. I spent a good portion last week trying to help my mother. Now, before anybody thinks she's, she's okay, uh, but she's had some health challenges, as many people are having health challenges. I spoke to numerous doctors, and I'm blessed that I'm able to talk to doctors, as is she. And we're blessed in Newfoundland and Labrador that we have top-quality health care professionals. Make no bones about it. We do. But even with their skills, the system is the system. It's clogged. It's jammed. It needs to work better. And we have to be brave about accepting all of that. You want to talk about that today? I want to hear you on this issue. It is so important. We're trying to get Minister Osborne on to to give an update on where things stand, perhaps to get an update on where the federal-provincial talks or lack thereof stand. It's hard to imagine that the federal provincial um, health accord talks which arguably stalled before christmas can stay stalled now I mean, work needs to be done. It's not just putting money into the system. It's not just doing the normal. Here's another 10 billion. Here's another 15 billion. But we need to get something done there. We need to continue to see and increase leadership in this area. We're going to try and talk to some health professionals this morning. Those are at the front lines who are doing the best they can here. And if you are one of those people, call us. Dave will get you on the air. As my mom said to me last week, and she may be right when she said it, this is something you, your friends, your colleagues need to fight for. Because particularly as you age, you're less important in the medical system. You get past a certain age and you have a hip issue, you have a knee issue, you may go down the list of time uh, as to when you may get surgery. Simply because you don't have, in the eyes of those who analyze the data, the, uh, the window of time to work, to contribute. They might not work as quickly as you. Now, people say that's not how it happens, but that is how it happens. Let's not, not kid ourselves. So let's talk about all of this. Let's hear some solutions, and let's not just flap our gums. We need to hold people to account. I saw the story out of Gander last week, um, how the mayor, rightly fighting for his community, is saying, you know, he needs to keep obstetrics there. But if, and I don't want to cause a war in Gander this morning, but my understanding is as it relates to Gander, and I stand to be corrected, there are very few births that are done there now, and that's that's life. A lot of this has to be data-driven. we got to give up the dream that we can have every health service in our town. We need to work more cooperatively of all of that. Certainly something the health care uh, reform commission in Newfoundland looked at uh want to talk to you about that now the last thing this is one that's getting a lot of heat up here and i i have to laugh at it Uh, but it's important and i don't want to dismiss federal public servants they listen to this program and they work hard but this whole return to work initiative by the federal government officially starting today up here they're encouraging people to come back to work some minimums now moving to a three-day minimums at the end of march um boy i don't know how you build sympathy in the broader public for resisting this over the long-term period. Now, I get I'm an employer. We have to be good to our employees. We have to find ways to create opportunities to work at home. But I still have the school where you believe when you work together in the place, you can have more significant and lasting achievements. And also on this Blue Monday, I think it's better for your mental health more often as long as you're in a healthy workplace. Anyway, want to talk about all that. We've hit our break time. I'm Tim Powers, back with your calls 
after the break. Welcome back to Open Line. Tim Powers in here for Patty today. You want to get me on Twitter at Powers Tim, or of course you can email us at, v- at openline at vocm.com. Now I'm going to go talk to Christina Smith, and Christina lives in uh, the Outer Battery area, I believe, uh, which isn't too far from um, my mom's home. Christina, what's going on with the lighting down there? I'm just catching up on this story. Nuisance lighting. What's going on? Oh, hi, Tim. Um, thanks for taking my call. I am uh, uh, I just would like your listeners to know that uh, there's going to be a gathering today on the steps of City Hall in support of, of a new bylaw for nuisance lighting. Um, and uh, basically, Sheila O'Leary is going to put a motion forward that uh, the uh, council request an uh, amendment of the City of St. John's Act from uh, from the province. And, and this is because uh, right now they feel they can't act on, on uh, lighting problems. And so what is the lighting problem there? I, I as I say, I, when I go home, when I'm home, mm. my mom's just down the street, I often walk or run around there, but it's during the daytime usually, so I don't see the issue of uh, nuisance lighting. I've read the story that I understand people are saying um, that there are lights that are on later in the evening that uh, are impacting their way of life. Can you give me a bit more color around all of that? Pardon the pun. <laughs> Yes, well, all the lights are, um, are are inappropriate lights for the situation they are, and they're also installed incorrectly. So um, the, the lights, a regular security light would be about 700 lumens, and okay. these are, are 20,000 each, two lights. And uh, the, um, uh, the, the angle of... of uh, Installation is they're they're installed vertically and not horizontally. So the result is that spread. There's more more spread of the light. Oh yes, oh yes. And the result is that there's a a, there are people in the neighborhood that that never get any sleep. So, anyways, what I wanted to say is that the 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 city has told us that this is an individual issue and it's not appropriate in law to make laws. Uh, to correct an individual situation. So we've, we've told the city, we've given the city about 25 instances, <clears throat> some of them from their own ATIP, about uh, complaints that the city has had about uh, lighting. So this is not an individual issue. This is a, a citywide issue. As a matter of fact, it's a worldwide issue. I think uh, um, uh, also Bill Montevecchi has offered to give yep. a, a presentation uh, to, to uh, tell the, the council and inform them about the dangers and uh, about these, these particular kinds of lights and uh, so we've we've done our best to educate the council and uh, and uh, tell the council what it is that we need and we're really really hoping that the council is going to uh, to vote in favor of Sheila's motion today yeah um, a, c- a few more questions if you don't mind Christine um, what these are privately installed obviously or I'm guessing obviously because uh, if they were public you could have an easier recourse <laughs> to them has anybody tried to speak to the owners of these oh, lights oh, yes. yes yeah we, we've, we've we've had that we've done that approach yeah and no luck at all whatsoever no, no, no. and why do they say they need to have them installed in the manner in which they are is it about turn because i know the corners up there can be pretty tight uh is it a safety issue from their perspective or is it a selfish issue from their perspective well i'm not going to c- comment on on or speculate on on okay. the reasons for this uh i would like to say that you know um Several of my neighbors are have been sued for commenting, so I'm not really. 
Wow. So there, uh, this is this is an aggressive, fascinating. Um, I, I just ask you this, and you'll appreciate where the question is coming from, not trying to diminish what you're arguing for, but as we are talking about health care crisis, as we're talking about major system challenges, how are people reacting to this very specific residential issue, or have you heard people, uh, have there been no complaints that you know, you're raising this issue as there are big societal problems happening? Have they connected at all, or have you had trouble getting uh, an audience from the city who are saying, look, there are bigger issues at play. We don't have time for this. Um, well, uh, we, there's a lot of public support. Um, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and the, also I've, I've said that, that this isn't a local neighborhood issue. This is, this is a citywide, province-wide, countrywide, worldwide issue, this light pollution and uh, light nuisance. It's a, uh, um, <clears throat> pardon me, the, uh, um, and, uh, well, the city, uh, the city have been, they've spent a lot of time. They really have. They've been down here, and, and this isn't the only issue we're dealing with. The city's come down, and they've, they've uh, looked at every issue, and uh, in, in every single case, the, the response has been in action. So, um, so, you know, we have approached the city, and I know the city is very busy, and I know the city is extremely frustrated about the, uh, the City of St. John's Act and, and the fact that it's been slow passing through the House of, of Assembly. So... It's a very complicated Yeah, so there is a provincial development uh, aspect to all of this as well, given the, the, the City of St. John's Act, as Peter Boswell used to teach me, is, uh, <laughs> is, is written and uh, implemented by the government of Newfoundland and Labrador. Have they, has the MHA, is it's, um, who's the MHA down there? My God, I can see him. John Abbott. Has, John Abbott, has he yes. Played a role, has he played a role in any of this to help? Oh, he certainly has. He, he has uh, paved the way, and he's, he's uh, um, opened the, you know, he, he's made made it plain for if the city asks for this amendment they will get it in the next um session of the house so so he's been very helpful and and we're just waiting to see if the council will vote uh to um to ask for this uh, um amendment and if they do it will pass so um all right, give us one more plug, Christina, on the protest plan for today. Go ahead. Uh, yes, um, so it's good. we're going to meet at 2.30 on the steps of City Hall uh, to ask the, the city uh, councillors to vote to um, to ask the City of St. John's for an amendment to the City of St. John's Act so that they can um, uh, have a nuisance biting line. Oh, yes, and I forgot also, uh, Article 377. Um, we're, we've asked the city why they can't use that law, and mm-hmm. so far we haven't gotten an answer from them. Um, they say that their legal department says it can't be used, but we've we've asked, you know, well, why can't it be used? And and we just don't get any further than that. You know, they they I think I think it, it, they could they could use it. We don't know. Maybe they could use it, and uh, and they c- could take the the lights down, which we we seem to believe. What is article for those who don't know? What is Article three three seventy seven? Three seventy seven is uh, an article that says the city has the power to ameliorate and take down anything, a building or anything about a building which is causing a public nuisance okay. or a, a danger to health and safety. And okay. uh, it specifically mentions lights. And the way it's, it reads, it certainly looks like they 
have the power to do it. So the, the question we have for this city, and that, which hasn't been answered yet, is, is it because the law says you can't do it, or is it because the law, you can do it, but it might, uh, it might be challenged and you might wind up in court? So that's, uh, we haven't had an answer to that question yet. Uh, well, if, if uh, I, I, I love lawyers, I have family members who are lawyers, <laughs> but I know they usually say no first, and then you have to push them a little bit. All right, we'll leave it there, Christina. Thank you. Keep us updated. Thank you so much, Tim. Okay, okay take care. Okay. That was Christina Smith. I'm home in a week or two. I'm going to go have a look at all of that. All right, going to go to line one, the hot topic of the country, doctor shortages. Mary, uh, you're going through this yourself trying to find a doctor, are you? Well, I have a family doctor. Okay. I've been sick now two weeks. I phoned phone my doctor Monday. He was supposed to get back to me Monday afternoon, and he didn't get back to me. I phoned again Thursday, and he was supposed to phone after work to Thursday evening. And I phoned him Friday, and he's still not after getting back to me. And and what are his uh, the people who are answering the phone saying about that? Are they giving you any reasons? Because as you know, I'm sure you're a very patient person. Though your patience can wear out, sometimes yeah. they are legitimately overburdened. So what are they telling you? Well, they just said he's going to phone me back, but he don't phone me back. Mm-hmm. And this causes you to worry and be concerned. Well, like I'm sick now, ten days today. Oh my goodness! And I haven't got COVID because I got tested for COVID. Mm-hmm. And the emergency room, not an option for you? You don't want no, to go in there? No, because if I go outside, I can't, like, I only have home care for five hours a day. Yeah. So I can't get a home care worker to bring me out because we pass the time. And you don't pay for a home care worker to bring me out anyway. And have you, uh, have you, have you, uh, Newfoundland has a telehealth line, don't they? Have you tried that? I tried that, and they said phone my family doctor. <laughs> oh my, oh my, oh my. <laughs> so, I mean, you're, you're living this situation. Other than him returning your call, and you've seemingly executed all the other options, what, what I mean, you want him to return your call. That's the obvious thing. How yeah, do you get him to like, return your call more quickly? I mean, I, I suspect the poor physician, I no, don't like know, I, I got is overloaded. I got a headache. I got a sore throat. I'm spitting up green stuff. Yeah. My nose is stuffed up. My ears are stuffed up. And one minute I'm warm, and the next minute I'm frozen to death. Yeah. And I'm not eating. All I'm doing is drinking. And that only just while I drink, and so then it's up again. I, I don't want to pretend I'm Dr. Oz here because that worked out really well for Dr. Oz. But have <laughs> you have you thought have you talked to a pharmacist? Uh, yes, they're very I have good. because he said he can't do nothing until I talk to my family doctor, and I'm not allowed to say my family doctor's name. You know, you know, no, of course, I understand that. But you know what? I, this is something maybe Newfoundland and Labrador is looking at. It's here now in Ontario. Not that they're the bright, shining light of reform. Well, I'm certainly 72. Probably I'm on the right down on the bottom list. <laughs> well, you, unfortunately, you might be. But what I was going to say, it, pharmacists here in Ontario now, I think there's 12 or 14 common ailments that one of them may be what you're dealing with. Uh, they can now provide you help and assistance for. Maybe this is something that could be looked at in Newfoundland and Labrador. Is there anything else? You, have you tried your MA? Well, you don't need to do that yet. But anything else you want to say, Mary? I'm so sorry for the struggle you're having. Oh, I'd like to, like to get my doctor's phone back and prescribe something or do something. Well, I, 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 
I can't even get through the moot house. I'll be put on hold when I get phone, sir. Yeah. And we're, well, I'm with him now since 2005. Yeah. So that's like I was with him a month ago. No, you're not a new. But even if you were with him a month ago, again, not we don't know what it, does, it is on his side. So I don't want to be too critical, but it does seem you legitimately have a right to be frustrated three times a week later. Still, yeah. when you've been told he will return your call. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe the doctor, whomever that person is, has has heard it today, or his office has heard today. Maybe that helps. Um, good luck, Mary. I hope you get that call back soon and and get some help. Okay. Thank you. You thank have you a nice very day. You too, Mary. Okay, bye. Okay, that was Mary. You heard her story. Uh, Happy to hear yours and talk about what's going on. As I said, this program in Ontario, and again, I want to emphasize for the second time, um, no one province is better than another, but they have started as of January 1st allowing pharmacists here in Ontario to deal with, uh, diagnose, and treat um, a number of of simple uh, diseases or ailments. I'll get you the list in a a moment after, after the Maybe it's something we should look at in Newfoundland and Labrador, cut down on the burden for all concerned. Anyway, time for a break here on Open Line. Back with your calls after this. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Tim Powers in here for uh, Patty this morning. I just want to go back to that call with Mary. So here's the list, at least, of what pharmacists in Ontario can offer prescriptions for after they uh, because now they're allowed to do this they've had an agreement with the government of ontario and the like uh, they also are excess they also have accessible accessibility i don't know why that's a hard word for me this morning to um, to uh, a patient's data as part of the medical records that they keep so there are 13 things they can offer medication for and other forms of treatment for or guidance on They are hay fever, oral thrush, pink eye, dermatitis, menstrual cramps, acid reflux, uh, hemorrhoids, cold sores, epitago, insect bites and hives, tick bites, sprains and strains, uh, and UTIs, urinary tract infections. So all of those things are, are available to get assistance or you can be assisted by an Ontario pharmacist for those things. That may not have helped Mary, uh, but the whole point of that program is to diminish the burden of uh, on doctors and, and others uh, who uh, might normally see patients for these things. Something we should look at, maybe. All right, going to the lines, my buddy, Eugene Nippard. Eugene, are you there? Good morning, Tim. Yes, and you're in Ottawa. Uh, I am, and it's it's sunny. It's not blue today, so I don't have blue yet. But you know, the day that could, it could come that way. I'm getting some flack already on Twitter, which I love. Anyway, tell me what's what's going on with you today. Yes, I'm in Mount Pearl. Yes, uh, uh, well, you know, uh, I tried to get on Friday, and, and your the line was really busy. But I wanted to talk about today. Uh, we got a serious problem in this province, Tim, with the lack of cell phone service. Mm-hmm. And I call the open line show a lot, and I know I do, but Tim, what happens? The public asks me to call the open line show, 
and try to get the, the word out there because VOCM is the voice of the common man and it do get the word out there, I do believe anyway. It does, yeah. Uh, yeah, it does, Tim. Uh, so anyway, we got a very serious problem here in this province. I mean, it is 2023 and we're still operating on the TCH, the Trans-Canada Highway, across this province with places with no cell phone service, just an example, and that should never be at this day and age because these these uh, suppliers, uh, you know, are making billions of dollars. And our so what should be happening now is our MHAs, our MPs that's representing these districts should be lobbying the, the government, should be fighting the issues and making sure that we got better cell phone service. Tim, for example, and this is one of the reasons why I called last week, this person was on the Gander Bay Road. Right. At, at, at an incident with his vehicle, Tim, and he had to leave his child in the vehicle and go and, and walk to a, an elevated area so he could get a, a message out. And, you know, he over here you know, on the phone, actually, on, on the ferry talking to the MP about this. Uh, so this is very serious. You go five kilometers outside of Gander on the Gander Bay Road, uh, uh, Route 430, and you got mm-hmm. no cell phone service. 2023, five kilometers outside the town of Gander and no cell phone service. I understand, I found out some information that they're going to upgrade the system here in, I'm here in Mount Pro now, so in the St. John's Mount Pro area uh, to 5G, which is great. That's that's wonderful and they deserve it. But, you know, we got to take care of rural Newfoundland. We, you know, on Fogo Island, you know, the cell phone service is terrible. And, uh, you know, uh, so we, we, we just got to get our MHAs, our MPs, because these suppliers got the money to do so. And the federal government will leave from chip in. They did it two years ago with billions of dollars, and they can do it again. So we need, to, uh, we need someone fighting for us. And if our MHAs got their ears open today and their MPs as representing these districts, please fight for the people. Get, start, uh, get coverage on the Trans-Canada, because I, I went to port bath and, and there's areas no cell phone service. You know, we could, it's a matter of life and death, like could have been for that person on the Gander Bay Road, for example, you know? Yeah, Eugene, let me ask you about that. And listen, I, I, I always have a lot of respect for what you say, but i got to ask you this question. There's a lot of things our MHA's got to fight for at the moment or are fighting for, healthcare being the top of the list. How do you square this being up there as well, too? I mean, you're right that a lot of the telcos, they make a lot of money. The reason they make money is they, other than, as some would argue, they gouge us from time to time as they do, uh, they also make investment decisions around where populations are. And there's a lot of that Trans-Canada, as you know better than I, I haven't been across it in a year probably, but uh, where there aren't people. And that technology is expensive. So maybe you're servicing... I don't know, 50,000, 60,000 people on a regular basis. Is that, if you're an MHA, is that worth going to battle for? And and is it realistic to assume you're going to get something, or is it just lip service? The MHAs, the MPs, Tim, uh, to remind us that they are out there fighting for us. That could have been, that could have been a fatality on the Gannabay Road. That could be a fatality anywhere on the TCH. And if you got no cell phone service and you're in the back of a road ambulance and you're trying to get through yeah. to the hospital or whatever, it's a matter of life or death. We deserve it. I'm a retiree with Bell, yeah. actually, 33 years. Oh, are you? I didn't. Okay, you work yes, for Bell. Okay, yes, right on. Yes, I worked for Bell for 33 years. And I tell you, you know, my, my, my services right now with Bill, because I don't get the employee discount anymore, is over $300 a month. So they are making billions of dollars. 
the federal government, the provincial government, got to work with them and try to get a better service for the people of the province. It's a matter of life or death, or it could have been for that person on the Gander Bay Road. Yeah, no, I hear you. I've had that frustration uh, when I've driven there, but I and I guess we've gotten so used to getting service everywhere. Like I, I travel a fair bit in different parts of the world, in the weirdest, remotest places in different countries, you can get it, and it is very frustrating. I don't dispute what you're saying on the Trans Canada and you know communities in our own province where it's it's uh, it's tough to get. Is there? Are you getting a sense? So, last question for you on this: that there's any appetite from the go- I mean the, the federal government uh, as I recall and uh, uh, and I will be corrected by liberal MPs if I get this wrong but they've tried to invest certainly in northern areas that create more uh, a broadband and 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 other cell uh, communication opportunities but are you getting any sense anybody's working on this on an immediate basis other than your cry for them to make noise about working on it well, I've asked the MP for our district, right, to to work on this, and that was the one of the things he campaigned on, uh, right. Mr. Small, and he's a good friend of mine, actually. Yeah, and uh, he says he's go- he's going to work on it for us. And uh, Tim, you know, I-, I just drove to Nova Scotia, you know, a little while ago there, and uh, you know, I went through the Cabot Trail. I had yeah. cell phone service on the Cabot Trail. You know, so if you can have cell phone service on the cab trail, you should have it on the TCH. We don't go over the mountains when we're on the TCH going across the province. No, and, and this day and age, one time we had to have power, electrical, or we we or we had to have a generator to operate a cell phone tower. We don't need that now. We can operate with solar pads. So there's no excuse. It should get done, and our MPs and MHA should fight for us because the next time accident could be one of them. Hey, you don't know. Pray okay. God it won't be, but you don't know. No, you don't know. And uh, look, we knew. Remember Fabian Manning years ago had a big accident on the road. I think uh, Fabian, of course, has recovered, but uh, he was in an area where there was was cell phone service, as I recall. All right, we'll leave it there, Eugene. Good to talk to you. Okay, brother. Thanks for taking my call. Really appreciate it, Tim. You're doing a good job. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Eugene. Okay, we're going to go to Doris on line two. Doris, you have an interesting question about public washrooms. What is it? Yes, sir. Uh, I've been in two places that are public, and I was just wondering, if they're open to the public, shouldn't they have public washrooms? Uh, okay, I don't know the legislative answer to this, but I can speculate, and that's what you want you want to get this morning. So yeah. were these were private businesses or government no, businesses? They're open to, no, they're big businesses. One is oh, big oh. business. I, there was two places I was to in the past, say, month and a half, and the two places I got short taken, and they wouldn't let me use the washroom because they said oh, they really? had no public washrooms. But they were, but they were privately, whether large or small, they were privately owned corporations that were running these. They weren't publicly owned. They weren't owned by government. Uh, they are public. I, I don't know, sir. Okay, no, because sorry, and I'm not meaning to put you on the spot, but if you were in a, I'll, I'll use an example. Maybe it fits here. So, uh, Canadian Tire is a great example. Big store, big stores all around. They do have public washrooms. My experience with them. Uh, smaller businesses, restaurants like Tim Hortons have washrooms. I think Doris, the answer to the question is, and I will try and dig it up. It's the, it's probably defined by the nature of the 
business and what kind of interface they have with, uh, with with customers. So if you're in a food and beverage place, then yeah, you are likely going to have have to have a washroom. If you're selling widgets and and nails and hammers, maybe less likely. But most smart businesses usually will allow you to use uh, a uh, use a washroom. And in in the cases you mentioned, I would look to raise an issue with the the ownership or the manager to say why did this happen because it wasn't I fair did. I and did. what happened and what happened is that they came they never got back to me i went and complained <laughs> to the uh, i phoned them this one of these businesses is all across canada okay it's a big and- big store across canada big stores well, shame on them because the yep. big stores, as you describe them, all have washrooms. I, I remember my son uh, when he was a little younger, three or four years ago, and you know what kids are like when they're sort of four and five. You never know when they're going to go to the bathroom. We were at a Chapters, and the bathroom was closed because it was clean, but the, the people at Chapters said, no, no, you go and use it. So good on them. So yes. uh, I don't know what the, the requirement is. I'll see if I can find anything out for you, but I'd keep on them. I wouldn't let them off the hook, Doris. Give them a call again because it's word goes around hey i was there and i was shopping and i had to go and they wouldn't let me go that's that's a bit cruel well this this store after i said to the gentleman i said i I just have to go you have to let me go and they said okay and he let me in and when i came out the manager was out by the door and he said you never come here again never what yes sir he said that uh this is not a public washroom and he asked me to leave Oh, my goodness. Well, again, I don't know all the circumstances, but as you described it, the manager might need an injection of common sense. Some people, as you rightly point out, have to go to the bathroom when they don't think they do, and they feel uncomfortable, and trying to help that person is probably better than being uh, an unfriendly sod, as you've described it. Well, thank you for sharing the story. I, I don't know the precise answer, but usually it's a, if, if you're serving the public, there are public requirements when you get your building zoned and approved. So I, I would only be able to give you more specific answers if you mention the companies, which I appreciate you don't want to do no. at the moment. But keep on them, Doris. Thank you so much. Thank you for All right. listening. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Right. Thank you for calling. All right, time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. More of your calls after this. Well, that didn't take long. Only 50 minutes into the broadcast, and I already have to make one minor correction. And thank you to our engaged listeners who always keep you on your toes here. And Tom Davis pointing out to me, and I'd forgotten this, so thank you, Tom, that in fact Newfoundland and Labrador pharmacists can uh, prescribe for, I believe it's 20 different ailments um, that they can help people with. So I don't know, again, Mary, if that helps you or not, but thank you, Tom. Sometimes you forget the finer details. I'm glad to be correct. Now, we're going to go back to the rebellion in the battery, and I'm having a little fun with this, um, but I'm sure it is really annoying for people who are in the battery. Helen, you are there. Tell me your perspective on the lighting overlit, it seems, circumstances in the outer battery. Hi, Tim. Um, good to take my call. Thank you. Uh, I think the uh, the biggest issue for me here, apart from just feeling solidarity and support for the people who are suffering out there in the in the outer battery is democracy we're talking about mm. the responsibility of elected officials to 
to deal, well, particularly in the city, uh, where the rubber hits the road, in the city, when there are problems that affect an entire neighborhood, it may be a small neighborhood, it may be all the neighborhoods, any neighborhood across this city or, in fact, across this province where this could happen, but in this particular case, the, the, the poster child or the, the canary in the coal mine or whatever you want to call it is the outer battery, and they have been you know, taking this on on behalf of all of us, refusing to give up in the face of utter inaction, determined inaction over months by the city. And that inaction has to stop. That is a big societal problem. When our elected officials do not uh, prioritize the priorities and the importance of the well-being of uh, of, its, of their citizens, where they, uh, I mean, where they say that they're applying the um, the clause in the legislation legislation that al- that already exists, the clause 377 that uh, yep. Smith pointed out, where their only answer it's not just that they don't that they don't explain why it isn't it uh, uh, why they're not using it. Their answer is it's not appropriate to use to use it. Well, what makes something appropriate or what doesn't make something appropriate? That's simply a standard phrase, a standard excuse that bureaucrats and, and irresponsible elector, ele, elected officials use to not give reasons for not be transparent, not be democratic, and not give reasons for their actions or inactions. It, a couple of things, and again, I, I apologize, I'm a bit new to this story, but at least listening to uh, Christina Smith this morning, she I, she did say that uh, John Abbott, the MHA, and um, Sheila O'Leary were engaged in this, so I, 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 yes. I would guess oh, yes. they're tr- No, I applaud that. So that that is part of democracy working. I get your point. Yes, about indeed. But at the level of the the mayor, the uh, and and uh, and the councillors, with the exception of Deputy Mayor um, uh, O'Leary, bless O'Leary. her heart, the 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 I mean, just the um, the press conference that the mayor gave on Thursday or Friday, Thursday, was astonishing. Where he just you know, in in response to the the questions he was asked, it was no, it's. It's just not appropriate to act. It's not appropriate. This is this is. Uh, um, he he sees it as something that uh, should be worked on among 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 neighbors. Well, it's gone way beyond that. Years ago, it went or months and months. So, how ago long it has it been going that. on, Helen? How long? Just to the mayor's point, because that would be helpful, I think, for the listeners to go. I, as Miss Christina said to me, uh, attempts have been made to deal with um, the the people who own the light. So how long has that local solution process been uh, attempted? Certainly since the summer. I'm not sure of the, of the details. I've talked to okay. several people about it, but it's, it's, it's many months. I mean, I only just heard about it in, in December when there were a few media reports on it. Mm-hmm. But they have been working, when I, when I checked into it further because I was appalled, they've been working on it for months and months and trying to find solutions, making suggestions, and then making suggestions to the city and checking out the the uh, other bylaws and mm-hmm. things in, in, in other jurisdictions across Canada and finding that, yes, they're workable and they're enforceable and, and offering all that information to the city. And what they get on Thursday from the mayor, Mayor Breen, is it's not appropriate. 
What has I, I? I didn't think I, Christina had mentioned it. I perhaps should have asked her. So, in the what have you learned about the reason for the lights being set up the way they are, vertical as opposed to horizontal, and being as bright as they are? Have, have the owners given any justification that makes any sense to anybody? Is there has there been any? The short answer is no. They haven't given any justification that makes any sense to anybody. Uh, they certainly none that that would well they haven't given any justification actually as far as i know mm-hmm. and you, the the press have been asking asking for justification explanation and trying to give you know both sides <laughs> and that sort of thing but this is something the dynamic happening here is something else and actually the lights are are only the most visible shall i say <laughs> part of it it's just um you know and it's up to it's up to uh, I, I can see why christina would not want to comment on uh, yes. on the radio about or about the rest of it and the potential motivation. For one thing, nobody, as my father used to say, nobody knows the the actual motivation of somebody else. Only, uh, only they know themselves. But you can speculate. But I'm not going to do that publicly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just before I let you go on the on the democracy point. So you, Christina, others are making a public appeal. What would you like to see the public do? You have the rally. There's a rally at 2.30. Uh, how do you want to use the broader appeal of democratic oxygen to get some action here? Oh, yes. <laughs> Thanks for the question. Um, Sheila O'Leary has got a motion before council, which would really be very, very helpful if it passes, that, to make the official request from the city, which is what the province needs, in order to make the appropriate amendment to uh, to the uh, City of St. John's Act. Meanwhile, so we want to see, I, I'm hoping to see uh, Sheila O'Leary's motion passed, hopefully by, by um, a smashing majority of, of council. Um, and and the, that action taken, the request made to the pro, to the province to have the amendment made, the amendment uh, is that it's a question of constructive redundancy, though I think because Section 377 of the Act, as it stands, already gives the city the power to do what is needed, but uh, the city has chosen not to act on that. Okay. So I'd lo- well, we'd love to see the city act immediately on uh, section under three, section 377, but it also would be very good not just for not just for um, uh, the areas and it's uh, as uh, Ms. Smith pointed out, it's more than more than just the outer battery. There are other areas of the city where the city has been receiving complaints about bright lighting and that kind of thing, and has follow has followed up on them and done nothing. Uh, but uh, so this is an ongoing problem, and it affects everybody and potentially every area, everywhere in the province. People are vulnerable to this sort of thing if they're not stopped. Yeah. If, if if it's not stopped here, in this in this uh, visible case, then anybody who wants to uh, you know maneuver things in a particular mm-hmm. way will be allowed to get away with it. Yeah, as annoying as they can be sometimes, your point is well taken. Bylaws exist for a reason, and that is to try and provide 
a community living space that is comfortable for all. Sometimes you agree with them, sometimes yeah. you disagree with them, but yeah. that is their point. They seem irrelevant, and many of us, like me, get annoyed when we see bylaw officers particularly enforcing traffic bylaws, but that's the point of their existence. And as I'll give you that point, Helen. You're right. They, they, yeah. they do have an important role in the functioning uh, of uh, democracy. And my father, who most Newfoundlanders might know his name, Eugene Forsey, he was a constitutional expert, and he never let us forget that constitutions <laughs> exist not for the best-case scenarios where everybody's doing fine and getting along just great and everybody's cooperating, but to to make provision for the cases where that isn't happening. No, well, your father was uh, was an eminent Canadian. I drive by his park just about every day, by the way. I go up Bronson to the Brewer Arena. I see your dad's name. So good yeah. to see such a prominent Newfoundlander showcased here in Ottawa. A real treat to talk to you, Helen. Thank you for the call. Thank you very much, Mr. Power. Take care. Uh, All right. A uh, lot, of, lot of energy uh, and enthusiasm and concern about the lights in the outer battery. My teasing aside, you want to call about that, please do. But time for a news break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with more of your calls after the news. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back to Open Line. Tim Powers in for Patty this morning. Now we are going to talk to the relatively new, he was elected before Christmas, Deputy Leader of the Green Party of Canada, Jonathan Pedno. Jonathan, how are you this morning? Good morning, Tim. I'm very, very good because I'm coming over to the Ruck later this afternoon, so I'm uh, feeling quite excited. Well, pack a couple of bags, Jonathan, because this time of year, you never know. You could stay for a while and get very acquainted with uh, with the people. Um, before well, we get, I got to say, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love, I'd love a good snowstorm that would keep you on the Ruck for a couple of weeks. I have to say, I mean, anything but Ottawa. <laughs> yeah, well, you and me both on on, on both those points. Um, before we get into the Green Party and, and where it is now, tell Newfoundlanders and Labradorians a little bit about yourself. You're new to the national political scene, but you're not new to covering politics, not new to uh, looking at issues like human rights and traveling into war zones. Give us a little bit of background on who Jonathan Pedno is. Yeah, that's quite correct. I mean, I guess I guess the best way to describe myself is as a bit of a reluctant politician. Uh, you know, I've been... Uh, I've been a journalist and a human rights uh, investigator for many years. I worked for uh, 14 years, roughly, in conflict areas. Started up as a 17-year-old crossing into uh, Sudan with Sudanese rebels to cover the, the massacres in Darfur, and then uh, worked in, uh, you know, Egypt, Libya during the Arab Spring, Somalia to cover piracy, and then moved on to uh, to work with human rights organizations like Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch. So I did. Uh, Quite a bit of work on 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 that front, and most recently, uh, I guess, or uh, yeah, before switching into politics, I was in Ukraine, so I was deployed there during the first ten days of the conflict, um, hmm. and uh, it was it was a very strong reminder for me, at least, that we uh, we currently stand as as a, as a, an international community uh, at a very dangerous moment. You know, we're we're faced with so much division um, at a time when climate change, which I truly see and have seen throughout my career abroad as, as, as one of the main drivers of so many conflicts, so many human rights abuses. And climate change really is, you know, in my opinion and in most scientists' opinions, 
the, the, the gravest, most important challenge, if not threat to human rights globally. Um, but it demands global action. And right now, of course, with Ukraine, with inflation, with so many uh, trends that we're seeing abroad and also at home, we're, we're struggling to come up with a strong response. I decided, well, you know, I got to I got to step up. And uh, so I decided to uh, to come back to Canada and, and get involved in politics. And here I am. Well, uh, the, the Green Party culture, at least as we've seen play out nationally over the last couple of years, is not for the faint of heart, Jonathan. As you know, um, your previous leader, uh, Anna May Paul, um, described a very conflictual environment, a lot of tensions between the past and the present, uh, arguing that that had a significant impact on the electoral fortunes of the Green Party. You have teamed up with Elizabeth May, well-known to Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. Of course, Elizabeth Hales um, or spent a lot of time in Sydney, Nova Scotia, and worked uh, on a number of maritime issues over the years, but Elizabeth is now back as the leader. You're her deputy. Um, are the cultural wars within the Green Party as they were portrayed to the public over? And can Canadians look at the Green Party as a more stable political organization right now? Well, we're definitely working to make it more stable. I mean, when it comes to these tensions, look, the whole of Canada is going through this transformation, right? We're, we're, we're struggling to understand how, how, where do we sit? Where, where are we with regards to reconciliation, with regards to, uh, to diversity generally? There's a reckoning that, you know, in many ways we can do better and we should hopefully be able to do better. Uh, but this comes with tensions, of course. Um, but look, the truth is I've, you know, I've, I've interacted with Green Party members uh, uh, for, for many months now, you know, stayed on couches uh, in BC and in Alberta and in Ontario of, of Green Party members. They're, you know, Greens are lovely people. They're good people. They're people who care about uh, their neighbors, about their communities. Uh, they're just, you know, sort of salt of the earth Canadians in many ways. And I think, I think, um, I think working uh, with them to build this political movement that we have, which is focused on, on ensuring, on ensuring uh, a livable future for our children and a transition, a just transition, transition for all, uh, all the people who work in the oil industry and in, in industries which, quite frankly, are not the futures industry. Are, you know, this is what motivates green. And, and this is the kind of I mean, this is the political message that we're, we're busy bringing uh, forward in Ottawa and pushing uh, on the liberals and conservatives and others. Um, you will know you've you've done the work. Uh, certainly, your history as a journalist will suggest you've done a lot of research. And that is, in Atlantic Canada, the Greens have had some good regional success, not nationally, but regionally. They've been the opposition or are the opposition in Prince Edward Island. Uh, they've had some yep. su success in New Brunswick, Newfoundland and Labrador, Nova Scotia, not as much success in PEI. You could argue, and I will, they've taken a more pragmatic approach to other government issues and policy issues that you may not expect from the Greens. So all that lead in to say, how do you get green members of parliament elected 
in Newfoundland and Labrador, in Nova Scotia. You had one, Jenica Atwin was in, in New Brunswick. Yep. How do you get mm-hmm. them elected in Atlantic Canada? What's your, what is the message you want to leave Newfoundlanders and Labradorians with, knowing that uh, something like the Beta Nord project is very popular here, though there are critics, and something like uh, hydrogen development is also popular in the province. So give us the, the, the message, Jonathan. Well, look, I mean, I've, I've, I'm coming to politics from, from the world of journalism and, and human rights investigating. So my, my, my sort of, you know, number one methodology is to go to the places, listen to people. Uh, and, and I, you know, I think we're a grassroots party. You know, we, uh, we try and build a movement from the grassroots and up. Uh, my job as, as deputy leader and Elizabeth's job as leader is not, to, is, is not so much to, you know, impose policies on the party policies on the members but it's to listen to members so my job right now coming over to to newfoundland really is to uh get to know the people get to know uh the issues that uh that that newfoundlanders are are faced with and i'm sort of you know this is going to be my first time coming over to the rock and hence i'm quite excited but i lived in norway for five years living in small communities uh you know with fishermen with uh people who are quite uh used to uh you know just you know, uh, weather-beaten sort of areas uh, in the Arctic and whatnot. And I, 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 I think we need to listen to people. I think if there's, if anything, uh, the Liberals, the Conservatives, the NDP, what we've seen at least in recent years is just a lot of arrogance uh, coming from Ottawa. And I think, I think we need to sort of put our ears down on, on, on the ground and, and do, the, do the actual work of consulting. And I think that's how we build a political movement uh, in the Maritimes, but the same in Alberta, the same throughout the country, uh, truly. So, you know, this is why I'm coming over. I'm really excited to meet with uh, Newfoundlanders. I'll be uh, actually this, this coming Wednesday at the Duke of, uh, Duke of Ducksworth. Uh, so if anyone wants to come and meet with me out there uh you know on wednesday wednesday afternoon wednesday wednesday evening i'd be more than happy to uh to, to listen in basically that's that's the work I'm, uh, I'm i'm doing and we you know i just want to be quite clear i mean we've we've been through uh <laughs> we've been through hell and back uh the green party of canada so now the job really is to to you know, to rebuild, to start from, not entirely from scratch. We've got some good members out there, but we, we need to do much better. And uh, this is what I'm coming over to assess, how we can do that and listen in. Well, as I'm sure Marlene Wells has told you, and Marlene's a very capable individual, Newfoundlanders like direct honesty, Jonathan, and you'll get that at the Duke of Duckworth. Uh, <clears throat> before I let you go, any plans for you to try to enter the House of Commons before the next election? We know there will be a by-election in Manitoba. It has to be called in the next six months because of the untimely death of uh, the former Natural Resources Minister Jim Carr. Or is your plan to build until the next election? No, I'm, uh, no. I, there's there's just a lot of work to be done internally before the next election, and that's that's what I'm focused on. Uh, we have some uh, some good potential candidates lined up for uh, for Winnipeg, and there's also a, a, a by-election in Calgary Heritage. We're expecting yeah, right. one in Ontario. Uh, so we're, but no, my my, you know, as you can probably hear. Uh, 
you know, with Max, and I'm from Quebec, so uh, so I'll definitely be running in Quebec. Uh, but uh, you know, that's not going to happen until the next election. We have a steep hill to climb, and I'm intent to put in the work uh, throughout the country to help the party uh, rebuild until I start thinking about myself and getting myself into the house. Uh, we have two amazing MPs doing some very very solid work out there. Uh, we're uh, our doors are wide open as well for MPs who might be disappointed, and we know there's a couple who are disappointed with their leaders uh, within the Liberal and Conservative Party, uh, the NDP as well. So, you know, we're, we're a party who's, you know, we're willing to work with anyone who understands that, you know, one of the main critical issues uh, is ensuring that we have a future and uh, that we need to put in the work to make sure that uh, our children don't uh, pay up for the mistakes that we uh, are currently making and have been making for a little while. Well, uh, good of you to join us this morning. Thank you for making the time. Pack well for Newfoundland, Jonathan. January is a game of roulette, so you may be here for a while, but uh, <laughs> we appreciate it, and I'm sure you'll get a good turnout at the Duke of Duckworth. Thank you. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Okay, take care. That was Jonathan Padineau, the uh, deputy leader of the Green Party of Canada. As you heard, if you want to meet him, he'll be at the Duke of Duckworth on uh, on uh, on Wednesday. Seems like an interesting fellow. Uh, worth a chat, whether you support the Green Party or not. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. When we come back, we're going to move from green to gas and oil. Rob Strong, oil industry expert, up next. Well, I couldn't have built a better switch from Jonathan Padineau, the deputy leader of the Green Party, to Rob Strong, oil and gas expert uh two different perspectives but rob how are you doing what's on your mind today i'm fine tim and yourself i am good before we get into what you want to talk about i just wanted to ask uh any thoughts on the uh the the, the sad and early demise death of uh of um jim carr because uh, he did a lot from what i understand for newfoundland and labrador even though he was from manitoba he did he did but you know you know who else we're, we're missing terribly is cabot merton Yes, Cabot. That's right. Yes. Oh well, I'm part of a committee that's trying to raise some money for for a lecture series called the Cabot Martin Lecture Series because Cabot was so dedicated mm-hmm. to Newfoundland and not just oil and gas, but fishery and mining and so on. So uh, I talked to Cabot twice a week and emailed him two or three times a week. And I'll tell you, I, along with most others in the oil and gas industry, really miss. People people tend to forget what a role yep. he played in the early days in the Beckford administration, Atlantic Accord. So we owe Cabot Merton a, a, a whack of gratitude for the role he played. So, yeah. No, i glad, glad you mentioned that. I, I, Sir Cabot and I didn't always agree, but there's one thing you can say about Cabot with great certainty, that his heart was always firmly uh, in and about Newfoundland and Labrador, and he fought hard for Newfoundland and Labrador. And was never afraid to take a, a strong position and argue it um, as well as he could. And, and good for you for mentioning Cabot. I hope that uh, that scholarship takes off. I've seen some notes about it. I think it's uh, I think it's a great thing. So thank you for mentioning Cabot, uh, Rob. Now tell us, uh, you want to talk about some of the big prospects for 2023? Tim, before we get into sure. it, you mentioned your mother a couple of times in the first hour. Yeah. Please say hello to her and tell her that one of the highlights of my spring and summer is driving by her home and seeing the garden. She is an outstanding gardener, both front and back, and uh, as I say, one of the highlights of the summer is driving by Debbie Power's house and looking at the garden. So 
Tell her I'm looking forward to it. All right, well, I, I'll tell her that. And anybody who's worked with her husband, Barney, and can see the beauty in the garden after the ruggedness of Barney is truly a unique individual. <laughs> we'll leave that one there, Rob. Anyway, I prospects know, 2022. I knew your dad in Labrador. Yeah. Tim, uh, from time to time I talk to Patty, and Patty is not in today, so I thought I'd have a chat with you on a couple of issues that are of great deal of interest to me, who's had many years in the oil and gas industry, and uh, basically it's around White Rose, it's around a, a new well offshore in Newfoundland by BP, uh, a few comments on what's going on internationally, and sure. I'd like to finish up, I promise not to take too much time, but on some comments on Beta Nord and Trades NL's efforts to ensure that we get maximum participation uh, in the in the benefits part of that project. So let's start with... Uh, Go ahead. Let's start with White Rose. Something sort of sneaked by the media, I think, January 13th, the CNLOPB, uh, who, as you know, and most of your listeners know, are the regulatory body for our offshore and someone a lot of us turn to for information. Uh, they have now confirmed that the potential reserves for for the White Rose field have gone up from 400 million barrels to 436 million barrels. And that may not seem a lot to most people, but, you know, that decision basically means that the extended end of White Rose field, which was originally scheduled for 2033, will now expire or be depleted by 2038. So that's six more Five years of employment, yeah, awesome. of mm -hmm. people working on rigs, people working on supply boats, people working on helicopters, people working supply bases, and, and, and. So that's a pretty positive thing. And as I say, I think, I think it sort of missed the... Uh, Missed the, missed, the, missed the media last week when it was announced, so I just wanted to Rob, comment just, just very a quick question on that. on that. Just a quick question. Of course, the production of White Rose has been improved, and it, 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 they are back, uh, or they're, they're back working, as I recall, correct? Yes, the, the FPSO is working. The, uh, the, uh, the West White Rose uh, West, yeah. is in Argentia under construction. I'm told that there will be a major boost in employment down in Argentia in March when I think there will be up to 1,500, 1,600 people, uh, men and women who are, are, are doing the slip forming for the concrete part of it. Uh, the deck is uh, being built in the in, in the Gulf of Mexico at Kiwitz Yard at Ingleside, and eventually, I think, 2024 maybe or 2025, that it'll be towed out to the field and we'll start producing from West White Rose, okay. whereby the production then will be fed into the Sea Rose, the main production. But, but no, I, I I'd sorry to interrupt you, but I was no, getting, go ahead, the go question ahead. the question I was getting at, which uh, I think you've answered, but just to get it clear for the audience. So with the additional barrels that are now being allocated, there is no new requirement for any additional approval, correct? No, no it's okay. a reevaluation of the existing wells that have okay. been drilled. Uh, probably some additional seismic activity. So uh, to, to add six more years for you know, a couple hundred people, it's, not, it's, it's good news, for sure. It is good news, yeah, for sure. All right, keep going. Sorry. The other thing that's attracting a lot of international attention by several good publications, oilprice.com being one of them, which is a widely read uh, publication that comments on activities around the world, 
And the other group is a group called Westwood Global Energy, again, a highly regarded uh, energy observation, energy analyst coming. And they're talking about an upcoming well offshore Newfoundland in the Orphan Basin by BP. Uh, BP, as everybody knows, is a, you know certainly a global com- com- a company operating in some 80 countries in the world. So the fact that BP firstly committed 435, whatever it was, after $400 million, Tim, it all sounds alike, <laughs> but they committed, I don't know, four or $500 million in, 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 a, in a bid several years ago, and are now going to drill this well. And the uh, both oilprice.com and this Westward Energy Group uh, are both classing it as one of the five wells to watch. Interesting. It, it's an area where Nalcor uh, at one stage predicted a potential uh, five billion barrel field. Others will say it's a billion barrel field, but either way, it's a, it's a significant. It sounds like a significant field. Uh, I did a piece of the telegram last week, and I said, yes, but you've got to drill it. I mean, the seismic activity might make it look very good, so you've got to drill it to see what's there, and they're going to drill it this summer. They're bringing over a rig from, from the North Sea called the Stena Ice Max, and, they plan, and, it's six, and it's deep water as well, but it's basically near the Orphan Basin, so it might potentially open up a new basin. Now, whether or not we'll ever reach production is yeah. uh, is another question, something you would probably know better than I do, what the government of Canada's attitude will be towards uh, towards new development after the uh, after the approval of the Beta Nord field. But, you know, the world still needs oil, and uh, I think that the Beta Nord project uh, is as good a, is a good project as you can from an environmental perspective. But again, as I say, you, you, you can't produce it till you find it, and you can't find it till you drill it. So the big news here is it's going to be drilled this year, and hopefully the results will uh, tie into some of the estimations, estimates that have come from seismic. So... And it means Rob, before rate. I let you go, can I get one? I got to ask you, and we've got about a minute and a half, just just so you know. Um, who, I, I've seen different reports on this. Who is best advantaging themselves now to provide oil and gas to Europe, given the war in the Ukraine and the fact that Germany and other nations are lessening their uh, dependence on Russian oil? What hey, are you try, seeing in try Norway. Yeah, Norway okay. just had a, 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 what we call an acreage round last week and offered 47 parcels of acreage up for bid. So, uh, you know, we we got three last year, so Norway is a big beneficiary. Some enhanced production coming from existing fields in the North and the U.K. sector of the North Sea. Uh, gas, of course, is a big demand for, for, for Germany, particularly uh, after Ukraine, and Qatar just signed a 15-year agreement for additional gas. So to answer your question, the uh, it's a global area. It's a global thing. People are uh, uh, those that need energy or those that need fossil fuel energy are turning to a variety of countries around the world. For instance, look at look at look at Alberta. Alberta has a production record in November of four million barrels a day. So everybody is trying to make up. This uh, the a the yeah, deficit the, yeah. the deficit as a result of the Russia pipeline and Nord Stream two, 
and and secondly, the growing demand. So yeah, so that's uh, that's a quick answer to that. The final thing I'd like to touch on, if I have the yeah. time, you got about thirty seconds. Nail oh, it. Oh, I haven't got thirty seconds. I can't do it in thirty seconds. Okay. How about you call order. back later in the week with Patty, and he'll take it. I, I got to go to break here, but uh, sorry I cut you off. But I did want to get your wisdom on those those other ones. Well, I'll save the rest for Patty. All right. Good to talk to you, Rob. Stay okay, well. Tim, take care. Okay, that was uh, Rob Strong, oil industry expert, uh, who's often on this program, and he'll be back later with Patty. He's got more information to share. Uh, you want to challenge anything that Rob said about the benefit of these projects? Because there's certainly people who have a different view. We'll take you on here at VOCM's Open Line. But now, going to take a break, and I'm going to come back. I've got two callers in the queue, I believe Paul and another Rob. You're up next after the break here on VOCM's Open Line. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back. We're going to go to the line and talk to Paul, who's got an issue about uh, some Japanese crab. Paul, what's going on? Sure. There? Yes, sir. Um, can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly, my friend. Fire away. Perfect. I know this, this story caught my attention last week there, Tim. Okay. And, you know, with, with, I guess with the state of Newfoundland and uncertainty, and, I mean, no matter how we slice it, uh, the fishery is, you know, probably the most contentious, but also the most important issue of our day way back, you know, when my grandfather was on the schooners. And, uh, anyway, I, I saw Colleen Lewis on NTV there covered a story mm-hmm. on the prime minister meeting with the Japanese prime minister. And, what, right. you know, what caught my attention was, I guess, I, I, I suppose it's true, I believe it, I think the officials did the research that, uh, you know, the Japanese markets ha- have have increased their, their purchasing of Russian crab. Now, I mean, if, you know, if we're going to be global partners and, mm-hmm. you know, sanction, uh, you know, things yeah. against Russia, et cetera, should, shouldn't, shouldn't um, those countries be buying our crab and, and you know, we, we providing it for them? I mean, it's a, it's a simple, I think, common sense question. It's it's interesting you say that. I uh, uh, occasionally, when I'm on planes, I see some of our uh, people in the fish business heading to Asia and uh, often Japan to make the case for uh, for buying our product. I don't know the mechanics of this here, Paul, but I know we have trader we have trade arrangements with uh, with many of these um, countries so uh, but it's a fair point you make um and uh yeah why, why i mean J- japan is a canadian ally before it's a russian ally may i don't know is a have you heard anything about a market accessibility issue throughout the volume of crap no, well, I haven't heard nothing. I do know Clifford Small and his team. I think he's the shadow minister there in Ottawa. They've yes. been, they've been at it, and uh, but it just makes sense. I mean, it's an it's an uncertainty, and who knows what the, what you know what this season's going to bring. And I have a lot of friends who are in the industry, but I mean, it makes sense to open up the Canadian markets and and let us provide the crab. Wouldn't you agree? By all means, if, certainly if right. we have the supply, and I, I mean we uh, uh, we have still people often forget this a 
good fishing industry. The last time I heard a stat, it was, you know, still producing over a, a billion dollars contributing towards our gross domestic product. That is not insignificant. It get, get often gets lost in our pursuit of technology and our realities with oil and gas. But uh, if we can safely sell the resource because we have the right quotas, then let's by all means do it. What when I didn't see Colleen's story, what was the argument that was made about Canada not being able to do it, or was it even mentioned? Well, it was, you know, I, I guess um, the Prime Minister from Japan was coming to meet the, the Prime Minister yes, Trudeau, is, yeah. and uh, Clifford wanted, you know, wanted to put that on the agenda because Japan had increased his the purchasing of the Russian crab. Okay. And I guess it, did, it like it didn't make sense, you know. And I, you know, I got to come in the MP Small and maybe get him to phone in and explain some of this. Mm. But uh, now is a good time, you know. I'm I'm of the believer of preventative medicine. That if we can prevent stuff like this from happening and and you know get on the right track, uh, now is a good time to you know to make it happen rather than let it fall by the wayside and then. You know, the, the crab prices, we don't know what's going to happen this year. So get ahead of the eight ball, I guess. And, yeah, you know, no, do, no, do agree. Hey, listen, can, right? yeah. if we have a ready market and we have the resource and we can do it, why the hell not? So, Cliff, if you're listening, Cliff's team, happy to have you on and to get some more perspective on all of that. I think Paul's raised a good issue. All right, Paul, anything else before I let you go? No, Tim, keep up the great work. I uh, enjoy tuning in. I'm going to say this, the VOCM, you know, voice of the common man, and I, uh, I look at your callers calling in. You know, it's often voice of common sense because sometimes, uh, you know, the, the political people just don't get it. I, I, I you know, you got to shake your head sometimes, whether it's health care or whether it's oil and gas or fishing. But, but your, the local callers calling in, you know, with common sense yeah. really, really puts a, you know, it's a positive spin on it sometimes. So thanks a lot. That's why it's one of my most favorite things to do because it always, uh, as you say, you get lots of good, basic, sensible things that you think, why can't a politician think that? Anyway, appreciate the call, Paul. Take care. Thank All you. Right. All the best. Bye-bye. Okay, that was Paul. Uh, now we're going to go to another Rob on line one. Blue Monday, you're not a fan or you, you you know it's all a big load of BS. Rob, what's your thought? Yes, it's absolutely BS because everybody's going through something all year round. Um, I just want to say something about the uh, the thing about the oil and gas. Sure. Quick thing. Um, keep, we should keep it in the country. We should keep it, refining it here. That's how we're going to make money. money. You know? be the best in the world but anyways i'll get back to blue monday now um <laughs> yeah, go for you know like you know i find the worst time of the year was just what we went through mm-hmm. that silly christmas season that they call period christmas. yeah they call christmas the, i call it silly season because it's absolutely brutal because everybody's expecting everything mm-hmm. and everybody's trying to do everything and it's just it's absolute garbage because We've lost the family end of it. You, you um, know, uh, it's it's. It, I, I agree. I, I as I've discussed in this program before, I've long suffered from depression, and for years, actually, before the birth of my son, it's changed since I've had him, and other things have changed. But it used to be the toughest time of year, and part of it was what you're saying. 
um, Rob, that it's so much of it is constructed and raced, and and you're, you're you're there's so many expectations, or there could be expectations, and that would be so tough on people. And you see rates of alcoholism, domestic abuse, all of those things. Janine Hubbard can walk us through this when I talk to her in a minute. All increase over over the holiday period, but I do think though, uh, acknowledging that Blue Monday was constructed by PR agents, it's a it does remind us also though, you know, the seasonal affective disorder stuff is real. Yeah, but it's, it's still like, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm the same with you. I got depression, anxiety, and everything like that. Um, so, like, it doesn't matter if it's May. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's June, July. You know, you, you get into moods and stuff like that. You still got, you still got it. Um, so why, why pick a day and they actually pay people to observe this that's disgusting yeah you know um that that money gone to these people who are you know saying okay yeah well this is the day um look at our homeless people um that 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 little bit of money could have gone to them to give them a little bit of warm food in in for a night or a little bit of shelter for a night you know that's that's I, why yeah, I, no, I I I I don't don't disagree with you. And um, what do you think then? Just just on that because we're you now we're going to go past Blue Monday today. We will get to Tuesday, and yep. next week we're going to have Bell Let's Talk Day, uh, which is another day when people talk about mental health and wellness. Of course, it's a bit more controversial this year because some of the challenges Bell Media has had with different employees, and those stories have gotten into the public realm. But what do you think? about Bell Let's Talk Day as a day to remind people about what you and I and millions of others are going through? Um, To tell you the truth, I give my middle finger up to them um, because I just don't agree with that because, like, I remember when I, I, I'm originally from Ontario, but I moved here 25 years ago. Um, And like I said, Bell, Rogers, you couldn't get no cell service. As soon as you got to South St. John's, you couldn't get no cell service. Mm -hmm. But I bought a Virgin mobile phone, little Mm -hmm. flip phone, and I could get signals out in the middle of North Atlantic on on the ferry going across. Where you couldn't with any other phone. Okay, so these guys are robbing us and making us pay these exuberant amounts of money. And it just... You know, there's just stuff like that that, you know, it just carries on and carries on. And it's just, uh, you know, and there's nothing we can do. You know, this is great. We got the VOCM, you know, to allow us to voice our little bit of opinion. Mm-hmm. But it, it really doesn't do a whole lot because these conglomerates, they just, they don't even hear it. So. Well, listen, I really appreciate your fresh take, and it it is good to have. And as you said, you can always call here and express it. And and stay well, man. It's, as you say, coming out of Christmas, going through the next few months. Winter's tough. I mean, it's tough all the time. I I, I hear you, but uh, sometimes it can be a little tougher after Christmas. You, You stay well, and thank you for calling us today and sharing your story. Okay, thanks, Tammy. You have a great day. Okay, take care. 
All right, that was right. A, you know uh, Rob had a had a very unique take, and uh, that's one we welcome. And no one take is uh, is uh, is is excluded. All are welcome on this program, and we're going to have another one from Dr. Janine Hubbard in a few minutes. But time now for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back shortly. Welcome back. All right, as promised, we're going to go to Dr. Janine Hubbard of the Association of Psychology, Newfoundland and Labrador. Janine, first time I ever got it properly right. I usually botch, though, your association's name. I'm happy I got that. Well done. There you go. New Year's resolution accomplished for you. Yeah, but you know, I look at it, and I don't want to be too hard on you, but it's like a Rorschach test. Oh, I know. Like, listen, right. I hear you. It's, it's like also it, the words don't flow well together. Anyway, we'll solve that on another day. Uh, Blue Monday, a commercial entity that has turned into a rallying cry for mental health. Give us your take on it and maybe take us into the realities of seasonal affective disorder. <clears throat> For sure. So as I think most people are now aware, um, it was originally marketed um, and probably a clever kind of way by a travel agency. And it proposed that the third Monday in January was statistically the most gloomy day of the year. So therefore, wouldn't it be a good idea to get away on a tropical vacation? Um, Sure, I certainly wouldn't mind right now. But um, in reality, there's no statistics that uh, can say that there is any one day of the year that is the gloomiest. Um, And I think it certainly started to kind of lose some of its power. And then a lot of people sort of said, but wait, it may have been a marketing gimmick, but this is a really tough time of year for a lot of people. So maybe raising it um, is maybe not a bad thing just, again, to kind of, you know, raise the topic, bring the discussion up, because this is a tough time for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. And I I mean, there's a lot of scientific literature, as you know better than I, that does talk about the lack of light, unless you're in the battery. Apparently, there's too much light in the battery. But that joke (laughs) aside. Wrong kind of light. Yeah, all kinds of light, the wrong kind of light. But there's too much. If you don't have enough exposure to light, then it affects your vitamin D levels. Take us through that, the, the science of what happens to us when there is less light and seasonal affective disorders. Certainly. Uh, so, like I say, a lot of people know it as the winter blues or uh, seasonal affective disorder. They actually changed the official name of it a couple of years ago okay. to depressive disorder with seasonal pattern. I think I got wow. that. Wow. But the is reason that the they same did people that, who named the Association of I Psychology know, Newfoundland and Labrador? doesn't sound so bad, does it? <laughs> but what it was trying to reflect is, yes, there's about 15 to 30% of us who experience some form of the winter blues so that, you know, our mood in the fall starts getting kind of a little bit more down. We're more likely to want to cocoon at home. You know, maybe we're feeling less sociable. We're, you know, more irritable, having more trouble concentrating, having intense uh, cravings for carbohydrates, um, and that those symptoms really significantly improve in the spring. Like I say, that happens to a fairly significant chunk of us in varying levels. But what that minimizes is there's roughly 2 to 6% of the population for whom it is a form of clinical depression. Um, like it is so disabling that um, it very often requires medication. It requires some psychotherapy. It requires some, um, you know, a variety of lifestyle interventions and supports. Um, um, and it's, I think, some of the reasoning behind 
behind that name change was to validate that it's not just the, oh, yeah, we all feel like that. That, like I say, for a not insignificant percentage of the population, it is a true form of depression and needs to be treated as such. And so it, it can be treated. I know there's a lot of uh, people who encourage forms of light yep. therapy. Uh, there can be medication. What are what? Are, if you are feeling sad, as I will call it, seasonally yep. affective disorder. I can't remember that new name. Uh, That's okay. Um, <laughs> What should you do? Uh, You should seek help. Yeah, well, there's a few things. And again, we don't totally understand it, but we know that something about exposure to natural light um, gives us that vitamin D, and it has an impact on two really crucial uh, neurotransmitters in our brains. It's uh, serotonin and uh, dopamine. These are are things that regulate our mood and regulate our sleep. Um, So if we've got outside factors influencing those, we want to take a look at it. So yes, we do. We don't know exactly how it functions, but we do know um, that increasing your exposure to daylight um, as much as you possibly can uh, can make a big difference. We know that um, increasing your vitamin D consumption can also uh, make a big difference. I always caution: check with your pharmacist or your yes. physician, just because vitamin D can interfere with some medications. Um, and again, fresh air. Exercise, um, some lifestyle issues like trying as hard as you can to avoid the curling up on the couch with the bag of potato chips. Um, and then, yes, some people find it really helpful, myself included, uh, to use one of the uh, uh, some light therapy. Uh, and again, it kind of depends. If you're someone who you drive to work in the morning in the dark and you drive home in the dark and you're in a windowless office all day long, um, they've actually done some pretty solid studies showing that, you know what, about 15 minutes, 20 minutes with a um, one of the therapy lights just off to your side, just in the morning while you're having your cup of tea or checking in your email can really make a difference for some people. Yeah, and uh, I, I think it's absolutely true. And that fresh air, you get outside in the winter. The one thing about the winter air, I find it's a little crisper. Maybe that's all created in my own mind, but <laughs> that crispiness. And you can do a polar bear dip too, Janine. I hear they get you going, but there's all kinds of other risks with that. Anyway, I will leave it there. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. I know it's a big week next week with uh, Bell Let's Talk. Um, sure. Thank you for joining us today, Janine. Anytime. Thanks, Tim. Okay, that was Dr. Janine Hubbard, the Association of Psychology, Newfoundland and Labrador president. Now going to switch gears back into a gear we were in a little while ago, not that long ago, and that is uh, Japan, Russia, uh, Crab, Canada. Put that all together in a puzzle, and the man to put that puzzle together is Clifford Small, who is the MP for Coast of Bays, Central Notre Dame. Cliff, how are you this morning? I'm well, sir. And how are you, Tim? I am good. Uh, you're getting some shout-outs this morning for rightly calling on the government, when the uh, Canadian government, when they meet the Japanese uh, Prime Minister, to push uh, the option of buying uh, some Canadian crab, preferably Newfoundland and Labrador crab. Tell us about that and what you know about what's possible. So, Tim, it was brought to my attention in late May mm-hmm. that Japan was shying away from the Canadian market. And at about around that time, the U.S. announced that they would be banning Russian crab uh, imports into the U.S. uh, as of June 22nd, which they did. And 
uh, our buyers here in Newfoundland and Labrador were basically they were they were begging the Japanese to come back to the table because a lot of their technicians had left the plants that they came here to buy from, and they just went home and empty-handed. And it was a sensitive time back then. I spoke to uh, you know a number of stakeholders. <laughs> they did they didn't want to rock the boat back then, so I I, I kind of stayed quiet on it there. So uh, getting into the fall here, I, I I looped back around with the stakeholders and. I got some interesting facts presented to me that it, one that'll be extremely troubling to a lot of people is that Japan increased their purchases of Russian snow crab in October by 400% year over year. Wow. Now this wow. this is at a time when the figure that I hear floated that we have 30% of last year's snow crab still in inventory. Um so you know, the, the Prime Minister of Japan right now is the he's sitting in the rotating chair of the G7. Right. I think he should be ma- setting a little better example than he's than he's doing. Mm-hmm. So, when when he when he came here, uh, we took we took the opportunity to put out a press release in hopes that the Prime Minister would stand up for the fishing industry in Atlantic Canada. And any response? I. I can't say for sure. Okay. Uh, I, I don't have the facts 100%, but I heard that it wasn't brought up. Now, someone who knows more about this than me and, and, and what was said, actually said in, in the Prime Minister's meetings, they could, they, could come right, uh, they could come right on the air and they could clarify it and let okay. us know if that was in fact brought up. But I, I, I brought it to Minister Murray's attention on the 21st of October. Uh, when I had a face-to-face meeting with her, and she hadn't heard about it, uh, you know, this issue up until then, which I'm, I'm shocked that I was the, <laughs> you know, there's more people than me that know about this. Uh, so, and then uh, on December first, had a sit down with Japanese officials in Ottawa, with uh, MP Randy Randy Holback, who's yep. well versed in in international affairs. And uh, they said they'd get back to us. So that's six, seven weeks ago. They had time to get back to us. So we just wanted to get it out there and maybe let the public know so that they can they can voice their opinion. And that might influence uh, the, the government's path. Yeah, we, I mean, people should know if they don't already, as you do, uh, we do have a trade agreement with Japan. And when you have trade agreements, uh, they are more easy, more easily utilized in circumstances like that. I, that doesn't mean Japan doesn't have a trade ar- arrangement with Russia, but your point is well taken. Like we, all of the G7, all of NATO are saying, and many other allies, enough Russia. So why are you doing a deal with them, Japan? You're a significant player in the world. You have moral suasion in the world. Um, Yeah, it'd be fascinating to know what, if anything, transpired in that meeting between the prime minister and the Japanese prime minister. That that we will have to stay on. Have you had any other bites from other journalists looking to follow this story? Because that can be a challenge, as you know. You're the shadow minister for fisheries. It's in Ottawa getting somebody to cover fish is pretty damn tough. Absolutely, uh, but I think this the 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 angle that that we're looking at here 
is is something that that'll interest a lot of the general public in Canada and and, and in fact in in all of the western world they'd be a bit concerned about that uh we put out the press release Thursday morning and it was picked up by fisheries broadcasts important and place, by okay. NTV and uh, also by here now so had three interviews on Thursday about it, but we need to keep this this topic uh, alive. And if we don't get the answers before the House sits, again, we'll we'll definitely be uh, be be looking into this. Uh, you know, right in the House, right on the floor. Carl Seaback is our our shadow for for trade, and he's very interested in this. And maybe we'll we'll team up and and we'll work together on it as we move forward because the headwinds. And the price pressure in the in the fishing industry going into the summer are, are very strong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if we could get twenty five or thirty million extra pounds of crab into the into the Japanese market and displace what's what's taking place here now in terms of Russian supply, that would go a long ways to helping out the the. The snow part, snow crab part of the fishing industry in in in, in all of Atlantic Canada, not just in Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, no, it, it it has a domino effect for sure. All right, I have to leave it there, Cliff Small. Thank you for joining us, Cliff. Oh, of course, is what, one, yo, thirty one, seconds. One more little thing. I, I yeah. heard Eugene Nippard talking about cell cell coverage yep. on the highways. I know. I drive them all. I can list them off to <laughs> the land of my arm. I know, I, and I'm working on it, and I'm going to be de- working and getting the help of my colleagues, the shadow uh, minister uh, responsible, and okay. to see what we can actually do if, in fact, we can do something with these, with these uh, uh, massive profit uh, uh, earning companies uh, that are in control. It's private. It's private enterprise. Somehow, we've got to get the pressure on to get it fixed. All right, good. You brought it in under thirty. Thank you, Cliff Small. Good to talk to you today. All right, brother. Take care. Take care. That was Cliff Small, the MP for Coast Bays, Central, and Notre Dame. Time for the news here at VOCM. We're a little bit behind, but we'll make it up. VOCM News up now. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. I have Igor Shesterskin's bobblehead in my hand. With my son and I went to New York, and he brought an Igor Shesterkin bobblehead. He's the goalie for the New York Rangers, and poor Igor is without his body this morning. Sometimes that's what it feels like when you host Open Line. Your head's there or your body's there, but the rest of you isn't. But not this morning. We've been on fire. Lots of great calls today, and one of them, I suspect, will be now. Colin is on the line. He wants to talk about China and Taiwan, also one where the head and the body are not connected. And, in fact, when they're separated, there's uh, there's health but also problems. Colin, work through that segue and tell me about China and Taiwan from your perspective this morning. I think China and Taiwan has the potential to be uh, Russia and Ukraine on steroids. Mm-hmm. To be quite honest, this is uh, quite serious. Uh, last week, China sent 57 more planes and four ships uh, over the uh, unofficial boundary between Taiwan and mainland China, the median line of the Taiwan Strait. Yep. Yep. In a 24-hour period, and uh, China claims this is uh, practice for uh, a land and sea assault, which is an invasion, I guess. 
on Taiwan. Further complicating this matter, as you may recall, is that uh, the United States, the current president, has repeatedly stated, uh, Mr. Biden, that uh, the United States military will actively defend Taiwan in the event of an invasion by by mainland China, and that uh, the United States will put uh, American boots on the ground in Taiwan. Yeah. And wasn't there, Colin, on this, and I say, yeah, because, sorry, I'm just thinking of something. Wasn't there a simulated war game that was done by the Americans in the last couple of weeks, or maybe it was before Christmas, but the story came out in the last couple of weeks, and the the casualties in that war game that was simulated and released by the Americans were fairly astronomical? Yes, it was quite horrendous. Yeah, it was uh, absolutely devastating. And uh, we're not even talking about a nuclear uh, conflict. Yeah, that was just conventional, right, as I recall. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's uh, And uh, it, it's not favorable to the United States, actually. Uh, the United States would lose that uh, would lose in that scenario and, and other scenarios that I've seen over the last few years. Uh, you know, if you game these things out, you put the, all the data into a huge algorithm. And it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, playing a, a game uh, on your computer, Really, uh, but you are you are actually talking about uh, millions and millions of lives and uh, potentially a, a world war. You know, you'd have uh, the United States uh, actively defending Taiwan against uh, aggression by China, and that would drag in everybody. That's not just going to be an isolated incident, uh, whereby you know you, you ship uh, weapons and uh, and, uh, and another. Uh, Material through uh, to logistics and supply chains to Taiwan to help them, like like we're doing with uh, with Ukraine. This would be a direct conflict between the United States and China that would drag in everybody. Uh, NATO are, would so, are we dropping the ball on China, the NATO allies, because we're focusing too much on the Ukraine? What's your your take on that, or, or are we just this is just another reality that is being paid attention to? No, I, I I think we're not paying enough attention to. Uh, Southeast Asia. Okay. I, I, in my opinion, uh, especially this country, uh, you know, we're not we're not uh, pulling a, a punching above our weight. We, we should be very lower middle a middle uh, power, but we're not doing enough. Uh, uh, Australia, Japan, other uh, countries in the region uh, are having a, a lot more problems with with China. China's being a lot more aggressive with them. And, uh, you know, I, I see uh, everybody's focused on uh, Russia and Ukraine, and I'm not taking anything away from that conflict. We need to help the Ukrainians. You know, what, what Putin is doing there is just uh, atrocious. But uh, Xi Jinping, he's looking at that. He's looking at NATO and how NATO is responding to, uh, to Ukraine. And he's looking at the strengths and weaknesses of NATO, because every time you make a move in the military, you know, you're you're displaying your strength, but you're also showing mm-hmm. gaps, you know, weaknesses in, in your your in your plan. So uh, he's looking at that, and uh, I think he's going to make a movement into into Taiwan within the next two or three years. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, and we've got about two minutes, and I know it's a hard subject to get through in two minutes. But what, given that China has a you know a thousand year plan, as we're often told, and they they look at things in longer chunks, what is the benefit of being 
more aggressive in the short term on Taiwan, though I guess you could argue this tension has always been there. But is, has there been a strategic change other than sensing vulnerability about NATO and the way it's dealt with Ukraine? Or is there something else happening here? I think you had to look inside China. I think you had to look at Beijing and Xi Jinping over the last two or three years. He's had a massive consolidation of power in the office of the presidency of that country. Okay. And uh, I think that consolidation of power uh, uh, doesn't bode very well for Taiwan and, and other other uh, files, you know, that the Chinese government would would, uh, would have to deal with uh, Hong Kong and, and, mm-hmm. and other matters, but especially Taiwan. I think Xi is um, is looking to uh, consolidate power. Uh, he's he's uh, within the Communist Chinese Communist Party. And I think uh, he's going to uh, start flexing some muscle now on Taiwan. And Biden has drawn a line in the sand. He has repeatedly stated that uh, American troops will be put on the ground uh, mm-hmm. to defend to defend uh, Taiwan. And that was that's just going to be a game here, I think, of uh, who blinks first. Okay. All right. Well, appreciate the insight. I think you're very right on paying attention to the Russia-Ukraine conflict has presented a great opportunity. And I'm not a Sino expert uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but it seems to me the Russia-Ukrainian conflict has presented a great opportunity for China to use that distraction to fulfill some of its other ambitions. And this, in fact, may be one of them. Thank you, Colin, for the call. Always appreciate talking to you. Cheers. Take care. All right, Mark Wilson, you're up next after the break. Talk to Mark Wilson about the light pollution demonstration, and Mark has kindly sent me some background information, so I appreciate that, Mark. But uh, give us your perspective on this. How's it going, Tim? Thanks for taking my call. No problem. You're welcome. Good to hear from you. Yeah, the um, Turn Out the Lights uh, protest is happening today at 2.30 down at City Hall, and uh, we're going to meet outside for about a half an hour, and then we're going to head inside to City Hall just to watch how the uh, proceedings uh, uh, proceed, essentially. Um, uh, Sheila O'Leary, as Deputy Mayor, has has introduced a motion um, uh, to, to request that the province uh, enable, under the City, City of St. John's Act, Enable the province, or sorry, the, enable the city to to uh, to uh, you know to create nuisance lighting bylaws. Um, now, you know, a lot of back in 2018, the uh, municipalities NL uh, identified that you know our our ability to make bylaws in this province is fairly prescriptive, and a lot of other jurisdictions in Canada have moved away from that to give cities the power to do that but then tim if the, you know if the, if the impetus or if the uh if the desire to help the citizens experiencing this uh these horrible lights in the battery isn't there then you know we can't move forward and, and just to to speak on the mayor's uh mark mayor's- just just before you do that because I, I i i'm 
I, I totally understand intellectually everything you're arguing, and I totally get the frustration of bright lights and uh, what they can actually do and the harm. But I, I, I do suspect there's members of the, the audience this morning who are saying, of all the, th- and I, I raised this with Helen but I, and Christina, but I want to get your take on it. Of all the things that we can be talking about now, you know, all the st- struggles in this world, why is this getting so much attention? And I'm not doubting that it deserves attention, but I'm giving you the opportunity to explain why well i mean we've got incredibly bright lights these are lights i've heard from electricians over the course of the weekend who have said we installed those lights on a in a in a hotel parking lot and the city of st john said that's too bright i've heard Mm -hmm. from uh i've heard from folks that have installed it in restaurants uh and the rnc stopped by and said that light's too bright you can't you can't you can't place that there you're gonna have to change that uh, I've heard from former counselors uh, this morning saying, you know, we we've had we have bright uh, we have lighting specs, uh, or we had lighting specs when uh, when that person was in council for construction and commercial buildings. Um, so, Tim, you'll when you when you get back, if this light is still there, which I hope it's not, you'll see the intensity, you'll mm-hmm. see the direction. Okay. Uh, that it's pointed, and it's just—it's offensive, really. Uh, it, the battery is—you know—I've been involved with the, with folks in the battery, folks in Port Amherst, from what 2011 onwards, um, it, trying to preserve this beautiful part of the city, and it's a gem. It's an iconic gem. It's known across the world for how beautiful it is. We need to ensure that this stays this way, and this light is really—it's it, a health concern, and and it's a concern for the area in terms of just like you know, it, it, it makes it into something it doesn't need to be. It's not a pleasant thing to see, and uh, there's lots of complaints across the city on it. You know, folks have complained uh, even in in the downtown about this light shining. So. Uh, yeah, does that does that sort of clarify things a little bit more? Yeah, no, no, that that, that helps. That that helps. And I sorry, I cut you off. You're going to talk about the mayor's position, so you can pick it up there, uh, Mark. Go ahead. Yeah. This, I mean, some people might hear all this stuff about these lights and think, why is it an issue? Um, the you know th- these there are there is nuisance by, there are nuisance bylaws across the country. There there LaSalle. Uh, we've got Huntsville, Kingston, Calgary, Mississauga. These jurisdictions have all identified that light is light can be a nuisance, and so it's they have what they've uh, what they've determined is you know where the light is pointing, it's got to be pointing down. It's got to be of a certain intensity. It can't be overwhelming. It can't create. Uh, light pollution into somebody else's yard in some cases in these bylaws. So, I mean, asking the city to create a bylaw, it's, it's not like it's it's not like it's a, a like an, a novel concept. This this kind of legislation exists, um, and it's being used across the country. So, for the mayor uh, to come out last week and say council is not going to do this, it was. It was. It's where it's where things really escalated for me, in terms of, you know, there was a motion on the table as of last Monday, a motion a motion to enact this legislation or to request that the city that the province provide the ability 
uh, for the city to create this legislation. So for the mayor to come out and make a decision was wrong. Uh, okay. He spoke out of turn. It's this is we're talking about a historic area, uh, and it, and and it's 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 a it's not it does not fit the battery. Okay. Well, I will certainly uh, check it out when I'm there, if it's still up. This is uh, fascinating to me. I agree with you. It's a beautiful area. We should do everything we can to keep it as uh, pristine and natural as it can be. Uh, And I'd love to hear from the people who have the lights as to why they, I mean, they do have an opportunity, I assume, to voice their concerns, why they they have them and why why they haven't found an accommodation. Anyway, I will look forward to all of that. I'll watch this with interest. Thank you, Mark. There's a bit more to this, Tim, if you permit me to... Yeah, i got about a minute and a half because I want to get one more caller in. Go ahead. I mean, VOCM did a... This was a question of the day the other day. 77% of the people said they do not agree with the city in uh, deciding to okay. not implement this lighting. Um, there's bylaws. Clear bylaws are really important for mm-hmm. the functioning of healthy communities and livable communities, and for for not for, for preventing us from developing this U.S. style uh, tort-based legal uh, pitting neighbor against neighbor kind of kind of uh, kind of community. Uh, we need this. We need these clear directions in order to to move forward and to keep the peace. Really, I mean, we've 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 dealt with many protests across. The span of time, it, it, I, 13 years ago, we were dealing with the Fortis redevelopment. 10 years ago, we were dealing with the harbor fence. And honestly, I'm just tired of having to deal with the city on issues that are just common sense. Do your job. Don't try to pass this on to somebody else. So I'm really hoping to see how the councillors vote today. I'm sure we're going to be there. I invite all of you to come down at 2.30 and join the protest. It's going to be fun, and we're going to go into City Hall. We're going to be very calm and relaxed and watch this protest uh, unroll. Well, we will be watching it. I uh, I appreciate the call, Mark, and the context, and, and thank you for helping me out this morning, uh, get up to speed on uh, on all of this. Uh, it's it's an imbiism in my backyard, so I I certainly want to want to see what it's all about, and uh, and and good luck. I do know that that particular area, and you, uh, I don't know if you're a resident or not. The, the, certainly, there is an active public, and they do care about their community. You're exemplifying that today, and they can be very determined. Uh, to make their their point and certainly you are trying to do that and uh, we'll see if the city listens to you the average age out there is 76 years old so i mean we need we need to help these folks like you can't you can't imagine having a light that bright uh you know this is equivalent to to uh like each street light is about three to five thousand lumens wow each, each light out there is over 20 so I mean, this is this is very bright, Tim. It's hard to sort of, you know, have a look at some of the photos, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and you you'll be able to see just how out of place it is. Um, and this is the function of City Hall. This is what City Hall does. Yep. All right. Well, we will be on top of it. Thank you, Mark. Take care. All right, that was Mark Wilson making a compelling case as to why we should pay attention to all of this, and we will. It's clearly 
clearly, I can see clearly now the rain is gone, but the lights haven't gone, have they? It's clearly a big issue uh, within that part of the city, the Outer Battery, and others who care about it. I think there is an argument to be made about uh, how it reflects the whole package of the city and um, how we want to sell the city also to the world, never mind the livability aspects of it for people that are in St. John's. Not that this program is entirely about St. John's. It's about the whole island and Labrador and even Cape Breton, because when we come back, we've got Bruno standing by. He always likes to shine a light on things um, and kick other things on on things he feels need to be uh, messed up from time to time. Bruno will be back with us after the news here on VOCM's Open Line. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. All right, welcome back as promised. Uh, Bruno, you're on the line. How are you, Bruno? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Tim. How are you doing? I'm I'm okay. What's on your mind today, my friend? I'd like to start with a question. I don't quite know what you you said or what's going on with Bell uh, and uh, their uh, Let's Talk uh, program next week. The question I'm interested because... I, too, like like you and so many other people, went through a major depression about a quarter of a century ago when my wife passed away and of cancer and left me uh, unprepared to deal with two young children, six and four years old. I had no domestic skills, and uh, uh, it was quite a time. I muddled my way through it, and but uh, here we are. Well, uh, what, what, congratulations to you, that? and I mean that sincerely. That's 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 tough, uh, and I think uh, good on you for doing the best you could in those circumstances, because that would have been been gutting. My my comment, I think you're asking about. I was talking to a gentleman who had. Uh, we were talking about Blue Monday and and how it was, you know, basically created for commercial purposes by a British airline uh, to sell airline tickets. And I asked the individual gentleman <laughs> question what he thought. About Bell Let's Talk Day, with the context of you know there's been some controversy over the last year about Bell and how it's dealt with his own employees, Lisa Laflamme being um, the most high profile and most well known. So um, his response to that, if I have it correctly, was he wasn't a fan of of the day anyway because um, he he didn't like the general commercial practices of the phone companies. If I can simplify it, so that's that's right. what that was about. Right. I tend to agree with him. But the reason, the main reason why I called was, uh, you know, you had several people encouraging uh, oil and gas development Mm -hmm. uh, for the benefit of uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, And they encouraged West White Rose uh, uh, expansion and... uh, uh, I uh, and the uh, um, Beta Nord, and he talked about of, Jean d'Arc Basin as well, too. Yes, so okay. that that seems strange to me, and I wonder how tying this into the episode of uh, wondering how people's mental health are on mm-hmm. the west coast of Newfoundland and Labrador that have been subjected to yet another hurricane, and many of them have washed their homes washed out to sea. Um, It's not good for one's mental health when 
your community gets disrupted. We on the in, here in Cape Breton mm-hmm. have also suffered those two, two same storms uh, that uh, you know 200 over 200 millimeters of rain in one instance made quite a mess here in Cape Breton. So the the point is when the impacts of global warming are clear and apparent and dramatic. The west coast of Canada looks like it may turn back into a lake. And hundreds of thousands of people are dislocated in California with weeks of rain and this torrential uh, atmospheric river that is uh, coming ashore. The planet is clearly giving us a message that enough carbon is enough. And here we have Newfoundlanders that blind themselves to the reality of all of that, even when your own people are suffering. How is that? Yeah, there there are certainly some of that. I I, I take that. But I think the point that was also made, too, which, again, if you're taking the mental health angle, which is a fair one, a very fair one to bring in here, is that, um, and this was the point Rob Strong made, is the, the, the additional employment that is created for six or seven years and yes i know you will say it's at a cost but from a mental health perspective just using that that argument the 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 steadiness of the income the security that that provides does help people as you know whether you like how they're making their 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 money or not so it's it's whether your home watches out to see or not well uh, look, I put that what happened in Fiona with Fiona and New Brunswick, or sorry, Newfoundland and Labrador and with you guys in Cape Breton was, was horrendous. I actually met a gentleman over Christmas who had been helping in Port of Basque and he just relayed for me how horrific the, the scene was. And it, look, you, you're fair enough to raise what the, 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 the trade-offs could be. You rightly point the trade-offs in a very stark manner, and maybe that is how we should look at it. Uh, there is the argument, and uh, I know you will respond to it, but I'll make it anyway, on uh, there's still a need for oil, and our oil is cleaner, and, and the like, and I think that's where many Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are, despite the work you are trying to do to offer, offer a different perspective. But you think well, the storms now are, yet again, another firm, strong, solid indication that it's very hard to dispute the reality and the penalty that can be suffered if you ignore climate change. Yeah, the escalating penalty that we're all going to suffer, of course. And uh, as an alternative, uh, and Labrador once again makes horrific decisions on the future by turning over the Port of Port Peninsula, I think it is, into a playground for robber barons like John Risley at no cost and uh, on this harebrained scheme pretending that there's any money to be made from green hydrogen that has to be turned into ammonia that has to be loaded onto a ship that has to be shipped across the ocean uh, to Germany and that then has to compete on the world level with the price of oil, which is totally ridiculous. It'll never come to pass. 
you Let know me ask you something, though, just, just on that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. On that, what, in your view, and I think you've said wind power in the past, but what, what is the alternative form of energy that we should be focusing on then? What is where the real pursuit should be? You should be looking seriously at wind and not turning it over for free to robber barons, to wind, uh, offshore wind preferably, just in the near offshore so that it doesn't disrupt any of your society and uh, tie that with battery storage to, to provide power on the very rare instances that the wind uh, fails you. And uh, wind and, and the batteries uh, will do very nicely to, to solve the problem. And to be able to get you off the uh, oil and gas things, if you do it, windmills can be built sequentially so you don't have to commit hundreds of millions of dollars on projects that end up blowing up in your face like Muskrat Falls. I hate to remind you and Patty and others. <laughs> I was that. pretty sure you were going to remind me of that. That's, 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 that's <laughs> but, fair game. I've got, not, about, got about a minute. Is there anything else you'd like to add in a minute before we go to break? I just want to say that those those things aren't as sexy for a politician because they're uh, incremental and uh, they they don't provide large financial benefits to individuals and to government ministers, if I can put it gently. So uh, the alternatives need to be looked at, not turned over to a robber barons who have no interest in anything except their own pockets. And uh, you, you've got to, uh, uh, you know, you still got that albatross around your neck now uh, in Labrador that I don't know what you'll do with because people are finally admitting that uh, the software will never work, that it will never be reliable. Uh, and uh, they're admitting that a synchronous condenser is a problem that hasn't been addressed and that may never be addressed. Now, I, I've heard yeah, I got ten, about, about 15 seconds. Sorry, Bruno. Just, yeah, you don't I've heard Patty talk this. about a shutter in one of the uh, on one of the, uh, uh, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? One of the four uh, generators in, okay. in Labrador. I don't know what that's about. But anyway, there are technical problems enough that uh, that abandoning that needs to be looked at before any good money is continues to be thrown after bad. So I wish you well, and I hope the wind blows favorably. <laughs> Well, usually we're shining. Well, we've shined. We've shone some lights this morning. We've let the wind blow and, and all that teasing aside. Thank you for, for sharing your story about your mental health journey. Uh, you and I don't always agree, but we have good conversations. And I think that the courage you've shown there this morning is, is very admirable. Thank you, Bruno, and stay well. All right. Thanks. Same to you.
Okay, that was uh, Bruno. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Daryl, you're next when we come back here. Welcome back to Open Line. Last few minutes of the program, and we've got Daryl who wants to talk about inflation. Daryl, you're going to make Monday really blue now, are you? Tell me all about your thoughts on inflation. Uh, well, Tim, what, I'm going to allude to the last conversation you had with uh, Bruno uh, with sure. emissions and everything. Uh, oil now can be produced with 3% or less emissions now, and uh, I don't think we should disregard uh, that as well because whether people like it or not, oil is a driving revenue for for everybody in the world when you look at it, right? But yes, we got to be environmentally friendly. We got to look at other options. We got to look at the global warming that as well. But that that, but just, that just can be done in a way there, too. Just because you make you make a really good point. Our the federal budget has been uh, sort of the federal government has had more of an increase in revenue over the last year and a bit as the price of oil has increased. That's really right. important to note. And the money that is coming in a allows the federal government and other governments to spend on social programs. Anyway, wanted to wanted to add that in. Go ahead. Yeah, and exactly. So I just wanted to allude to that to that fact as well. And that's what uh, you know. We're uh, you know they got to take a look at the whole picture when you look at everything in general. But uh, getting back to inflation, uh, when you look at the federal government pumped out billions of dollars with the CERB package at the time to a lot of the billions of dollars went out the door to people that weren't entitled to it and, you know, companies and so forth. And, Tim, uh, when you look at it, if I make a mistake or you make a mistake, we're responsible. we gotta, we got to correct our mistake. But because of all that billions of dollars, it created inf- inflation on top of everything else of interest rates going up, energy costs going up, and, uh, you know, interest rates and so forth. So now we're paying the price for it. And you're listening to people right across this country, uh, you know, they're on hard times, they're starving and so forth. So what my whole point is here today is that if the government made that mistake and pumped up billions of dollars, which shouldn't have never went out the door, then they're responsible for correcting their, mis- their mistake like anyone else like myself or you or anybody in general. And, that, and because of that, we're paying the price for it now at the grocery store, uh, the gas pumps. As a matter of fact, here in Newfoundland Labrador, by next summer, we're going to be the highest in the country. We're going to surpass Vancouver because of the carbon tax. So the federal government is going to have to take a good, hard look at everything in general. They're going to have to start listening to the people. And I'm on the ground floor, and I can tell you my survey my survey is next election, people are not voting liberal because they felt the federal government caused all this, uh, you know, the situation. Spending going too back much to, money. Yeah, Bill Morneau's made that argument, the former finance minister, that there's been too much yeah. money spent and too much money put into the system, and thus we have the challenges that we have. There are others who make right. different arguments. But sorry, you go 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 ahead. Yeah, so uh, when we had the COVID-19, the government went, they, they went and shut everything down and, and uh and, you know, they pumped out all these billions and billions of dollars. And uh, so the, the, my whole point is because of that, the government is, is totally responsible for correcting the situation because they caused inflation because there's billions of dollars went out the door. And this even come from economists from Western Canada. Except, Darrell, I, I, look, there are people right? who make that argument, but I, I think it's uh, the, the, there's been global issues that have driven inflation, and those same economists yeah. would tell you that. So it's a political Political argument the conservatives are making. It's an argument people may may buy into. I'm certainly the 
federal government has to be held to account, but there have been a number of global issues from war, from supply chain to actual supply uh, and servicing to global currency challenges that have made all of this. Anyway, your point yeah, on the uh, government to account, people have to make those decisions for sure. Well, well, well you're right. As a, as a global thing and China, China should, and it's all due to the shutdown due to COVID-19, but also, uh, Tim, I don't buy into all of it. A lot of it is manipulation, because well, one day your gas could be your, your your one day your gas could be gone up twenty six. Next day is down and still based on the same inventory. I I I I don't. I think a lot of it's is pure manipulation. You look at the. the I've got to give you a minute, Daryl, because I've got to get yeah. one more call in or thirty seconds. Okay, yeah. The, I'll sum up. The banks are making record profits. The grocery trains are making record profits. The oil companies are making now record profits and every time you go to the grocery store is going up and up and they're making more and more profits than ever so we're being manipulated this this inflation thing do you want to get inflation down to two uh, percent as how can inflation go down if your groceries and everything else is still going up inflation's yeah, not going to go down interest rates not going to bring down nerve. just uh, inflation itself and okay, gotta gotta we, gotta leave it there daryl gotta leave it there. yeah thank you uh, okay not, again I'm, thanks I'm for your time the Tim. time right now i gotta get more and more person in. thank you daryl. <laughs> all right take great care. thanks for your time tim all the best okay, okay take care surely i manipulated the time to get you on you got about two and a half three minutes go ahead I'm calling in concerning bright lights that can cause uh, chronic sleep uh, loss in people, and it can cre increase a lot of health issues. Can I keep going? You keep going. I'll tell okay, you when you're done. Increases, you keep going. It increases high blood sugar, heart uh, problems, just all with the lack of sleep, uh, gut bacteria, insulin develops, raises your insulin levels, um, reduces, uh, oh, my insulin effectiveness yep. uh, speeds up your the aging process i'm sure nobody wants to keep aging <laughs> <laughs> it increases the stress on the body disturbs your memory it increases the brain disease increases inflammation and it increases chronic illness and increases risk of disease and pre premature death so uh, and it, it decreases your melatonin level and yes. your melatonin is your sleep hormone well, uh, let me guess, and, and I'm teasing you a little bit here. You are not for uh, the the. You want to see a resolution? Yes, I do. Battery. And I have no way of getting down to uh, participate in the um, the debate, or not the debate, the um, protest. Oh my God. That's Help okay. <laughs> protest. All right. But anyway, uh, I got no way of getting down to the talk this afternoon or the protest. So I and just do you want live to make there? Do you live in it the is area? dangerous. Do you live in the area, Shirley? Pardon me? Do you live in the outer battery? No, I area? don't. I okay. live over on Torbay Road. I have a 92-year-old uh, landlady that used to be my landlady for 24 years. She lives over by the Avalon Mall, and she lives by herself. Okay. And her neighbors now are also using uh, bright lights on their doors, and it's shining in her bedroom at nighttime, and she can't sleep. 
I wonder, I, Shirley, I got to make this joke. What we, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe that's how we could have shot Sprung Greenhouse down. Do you remember all the lights <laughs> from that place? You could be landing, you're coming in from, you'd see it from miles away in the Atlantic. Yeah, maybe you we could have saved Brian Peckford from himself then. That's anyway, the I got to leave it there. Thank you for the that's call. That's okay. Shirley. Bye. Take Bye. care. Bye. Welcome. Yeah. God, imagine if they had a bylaw in Mount Pearl then. Maybe we would have saved all that money. There wouldn't have been near a cucumber grown, and we wouldn't have been kept late at night. And then we had double daylight savings time. We do some fun things with lights and daylight in Newfoundland and Labrador. And if you don't remember any of that, Google it. The Google machine will tell you all the history. That sprung greenhouse, my goodness, it lit up the city. If they think the lights and the battery are bad, my, oh, my. Uh, they were something else out there. I remember living in the East End. We used to joke, the glow from Mount Pearl, it was the brightness of the city that they always wanted. Anyway, my silliness aside, thank you. Great day today, of course. Thank you to uh, Dave Williams, who's going through his own version of Blue Monday. Dave, the Chargers will come back. Great to be with you all today. Try not to be too blue. Hopefully, Patty will be back tomorrow. For now, I'm Tim Powers, and this is VOCM's Open Line. <laughs> 